Coming up on episode 45 of the Upful Life podcast. If you want people to even begin to uh, listen to your voice and even just consider maybe some of the, the points that you're making, you, you have to find some kind of common ground. And from there, you can, uh, you know, you can at the very least, you can continue the relationship and be a positive force that if and when that person decides that maybe they've made a mistake, you know, maybe they were wrong about all this, or they decide that it's gotten to a level that they actually, it makes them uncomfortable, um, you can be there as somebody who didn't mock them, who found common ground, and 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 be a person that they can come back to. I'm a bozo. Oh yeah, yeah, I thought you had. Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. And this is episode number 45, coming at you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studio in Oakland, California. The Upful Life Podcast, your place for the vibe. And we're so grateful you are tuning in. Yes, indeedy. We're back here on the Up for Life podcast, episode 45. You know, I just want to remind everybody to please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever your platform of preference. And also please rate and review the Up for Life podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever is clever. It goes a long way to pushing the algorithms in this direction and bringing new listeners and new ears to the Upful Life podcast. And for that, we give thanks to everybody who's left such wonderful reviews and rated the show online. Let everybody else know you can also reach me directly. Email b.getz at upfullife.com. That's b.getz at upfullife.com. 
constructive criticisms, feedback, reflections, suggestions are all welcome and appreciated. And, of course, got to mention the Patreon. Getting things started over there, patreon.com backslash upfullife. Contribute whatever you are so inclined. We are grateful for everybody signing up. Got a few patrons so far. Looking for a few more. I'm dropping music mixes and hard-to-find stuff over there. We're going to roll out some bonus pods in the not-too-distant future. And speaking of bonus pods, I am on the guest list, which is the bonus podcast series for Eric Krasno Plus One. Kras from Soul Live and formerly of Lettuce. And he's got his hands in a million things, and he's brought me on board to be his co-host for his bonus podcast series. You can sign up at OsirisPod.com. Indeedy. We're back. Episode 45. The Upful Life Podcast. It's an honor and a privilege and a pretty proud day to welcome Jake Rakatansky to the show from QAnon Anonymous Podcast, or QAA for short. Now, I've been listening to Jake and his cohorts on QAA for the better part of a year and a half, pretty religiously. Uh, I subscribe to their Patreon, I watch them on Twitch, and I uh, listen to their free weekly podcast. Uh, It's appointment listening. And over that time, due to their approach and style and openness, vulnerability, humanity, that's on display each and every episode or broadcast, etc., Uh, I've grown very fond of each of these gentlemen and particularly warmed to Jake. Uh, He's just uh, much like myself, as you'll come to hear in this conversation, our common ground growing up Jewish in metropolitan suburbs and our uh, divergent but still somewhat spiritually aligned journey and pathway to the West Coast. And Jake's located in Los Angeles. I'm up here in the Bay Area. And uh, yeah, I just have paid a lot of attention to Q over the past couple of years. And I have to thank Jake uh, and Julian and Travis of QAA for shepherding me and thousands and thousands of others through this darkness uh, with their own brand of uh, investigative journalism and comedy and reporting and... uh, vulnerability and empathy. It's been a remarkable experience uh, to kind of 
plunge into the depths of these dark corners of the internet and as we see in real life now uh, with these fellas at the helm. Now you might ask yourself, why am I doing content like this on the Up Full Life podcast? Well, uh, I asked myself the same thing, but naturally it's an area of interest of my own and we explored it a little bit in the interview with Derek Barris from Conspirituality Podcast. Now, he's like neck deep in the music culture as well. So it was not as huge of a leap, but we definitely uncovered topics of that nature with him and, of course, discussed some conspiracies and just uh, the political divide, race relations with Carl Denson and Chris Littlefield and DJ Williams and Kim Dawson and list goes on. Uh, Mike Dillon. So uh, that kind of dialogue and conversation is not foreign to the Up Full Life podcast. But yes, Jake's not in the sphere or music universe that I might otherwise find a guest on the show. However, he's a music guy, as you'll hear. Of course, that's actually how I reached out to him. Uh, he had made a post about Weezer and a few sly music references on QAA. So I knew my man was down. And, uh, after that Rivers Cuomo tweet, I hollered at him and he was gracious in accepting the opportunity to come on this podcast and talk a little bit about his journey. And I was buoyed by that uh, notion because I had uh, spent a lot of time listening to him and of course watching the HBO docuseries Q Into the Storm, which we get deep into. I've spent more hours than I can count on Q Anon casualties on reddit i was uber prepared for this conversation but i was not really so prepared for how deep and how long and how real jake rakitansky was going to keep it my own interest in this topic is rooted in the various ways that q has reared its ugly head in my own life I'm going to switch up the songs here for a second, but I wanted to just let y'all know I came out the gates with uh, the instrumental to Cage, Agent Orange, um, which is a underground white label hip hop track from the late 90s, produced by Cage's brother Necro. And it's a flip on uh, the theme from A Clockwork Orange. And the reason I played that for those less initiated is... Word on the street is they were serving adrenochrome at the Corova Milk Bar. I could never explain Q with Jake in one podcast. The HBO doc is six one-hour episodes. They have like 300-plus QAA episodes, and they're still figuring it out. So, of course, there was no way we were going to button up the whole Q movement and experience in one pod. So instead, we get Jake's journey through Q. And now I'm just going to switch it up to company flow patriotism for obvious reasons. Now, when I'm talking about the reasons that Q was in my own life, it really began like a couple years ago when a DJ who I'd met and somewhat befriended uh, when I was down there in Costa Rica for the Envision Festival, uh, he got really like ensconced in Q early in his rhetoric and verbiage and ideas and tone and anger really turned off a lot of the you know 
burner community and bass music community that had you know known and loved him up for years so watching his descent into the darkness was kind of like patient zero for me and then naturally over the past couple years we've seen how the you know chans and corners of the internet uh, found their way through social media channels to all the way up into congress and we saw with 45 and twitter and the insurrection so much of q uh, just entered the lexicon and the zeitgeist where even folks who don't pay attention to any of that current event stuff were forced to at least acknowledge or understand or take notice of this scourge and it really found its way deep into the sort of burner new age culture yoga wellness even like west coast transformational festival culture i saw it pop up in like ecstatic dance communities and different festival crews and seeing that infect you know otherwise good intentioned righteous folks um, and then even cross over into the sort of jam band hippie world. You know, we saw a lot of Zach Deputy uh, photos of him at the insurrection. And a number of different artists have been tarred and feathered in one way or another for their sympathies in this regard. So it's definitely present in the music culture. Uh, but it's like really loud in the festival burner new age sphere and i've got a foot in each maybe the head in the clouds but one foot in each of those universes that's how i got here uh, even recently calia scintilla uh, an artist that i adore who was using their Bandcamp channels to surreptitiously funnel fans to sasha stone videos so it started with Gino Caccino back in the day and as recently as, you know, a month or two ago with Talia Scintilla band camp fiasco. So I've been keeping my thumb on the pulse of this scourge through QAA and, of course, Conspirituality. And you're going to hear all about Jake's uh, confronting anti-Semitism, uh, the mental health issues that come with this field of study. Uh, him going undercover and interacting with Anons and Q influencers. Most of all, you're going to see, hear, and feel the humanity and the empathy and the comedy and just the vibe that really makes Jake such a swell, likable, uh, warm cat. And I have no doubt we'd be pals in real life. And it kind of feels like we are already. So... A little longer than usual on the preamble, but now you're uh, greased up and ready to go. So I'm going to turn it over, or I should say, cue it up to my uh, one hour and 50 minute long powwow with the real one, Mr. Jake Rakotansky. What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to welcome Jake Rakotansky from QAnon Anonymous podcast and uh, just a swell guy that I've come to know just from listening to his show and watching his 
him and his cohorts on uh, Twitch, and I've been a subscriber to the Patreon. So I've got to say, it's a long time in the making, Jake, and I'm honored and privileged to uh, host this conversation with you this afternoon. Man, I am honored and privileged that you invited me on the show. It's always it's always nice to talk about uh, you know happier things other than politics and QAnon. So uh, when you hit me up, I was uh, su- super stoked to come on. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, and that's the beauty of I think your program is, of course, it's the darkest, ugliest, most uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. and and topics du jour. But each of you inject yeah your personalities your your perspectives in a very human and vulnerable and endearing way and therefore uh you know it was clear to me that we had a lot of common ground outside of this field of study if you will and yeah that's definitely where i kind of want to start just kind of get to know jake rakitansky the dude because um, not everyone who listens to my show <laughs> listens to you twice a week and, and watches. On. So I feel like I know a lot. I'm going to ask questions I kind of know the answers to, but a few that I don't, of course. Um, whatever you're comfortable with okay. sharing, like uh, background, where did you grow up? Uh, maybe just a little bit about the, you know, your coming of age, you know, before adulthood, where and when. Sure, sure. Um, so I grew up, uh, in the suburbs outside of Chicago. Um, my mom was a teacher. Uh, my dad worked for the local public broadcast, uh, local public broadcast station. And, uh, it was, it was great. I was, you know, not, not the most athletic kid. I tried, you know, I really, I really tried to sort of, uh, you know, fit into and, and find a sport you know, because that was what like most most of the kids in that were you know my peers were doing, um, and it didn't it didn't really ever click. So uh, in high school, um, I started to get into theater, and I did that all the way through college, and um, basically t- yes t- took that into a career. I moved to moved to Los Angeles, and um, you know I was an actor for a while out here, and then I decided that I hated acting, I hated the job. Um, I felt like I had no control, and so I transitioned into the production side of things, and I worked in the studio system for years um, until I decided that, uh, well, no, I mean, I I, I still am working in it, but yeah, alongside while I was doing that, you know, we started to notice these, you know, QAnon sort of... um, taking over a lot of the conspiracy forums, which I was frequenting anyways, just because I I'm I'm I love just reading conspiracy theories just for like the story aspect of it. You know, I'm always looking for cool premises and stuff for TV shows and movies. And so um, I'm constantly, <clears throat> you know, constantly just, you know, trudging through these boards looking for, you know, little nuggets of, of something that could be cool. And I started seeing a lot of stuff about QAnon, and it was it was really it was really worrying. And so I hit up my friend Julian, who I had done a previous podcast with. That you know didn't you know it was fun. We did it for like two years, but it didn't really didn't really go anywhere. And I said I think we should we should keep an eye on this thing called QAnon, and and the rest is history. Unfortunately, really, I mean, it's bad. I, I would have loved uh, QAnon not to become as uh, prominent an ideology in the world uh, as it is, but what can you do? 
Well, you're doing the Lord's work, and it's interesting to hear. <laughs> uh, I would love to probe that. I think maybe a little into the conversation, just the uh, embryonic stages of the podcast uh, and kind of a then to now Absolutely. thing. But uh, you mentioned, you know, I went to a, I grew up Jewish, uh, you know, got bar mitzvah in Israel and, and played oh, hell sports. Yeah. yeah, at the wall. Yeah, back right around the Gulf oh, War, wow. 91. So it was not exactly oh, a safe that's time amazing. over there. Yeah, it's a beautiful That's amazing. experience. Okay, yeah, so probably about uh, yeah around around the same around the same time. Yeah, I got bar mitzvahed in yeah early early nineties early nineties as well. Not but, at the wall though, dude. But I did go to um, my synagogue had a uh, you know like a pilgrimage basically where you get you know you 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 go. It's a free trip. It's kind of like birthright, but it was through. It wasn't birthright. It was like through my synagogue. And we went to, it was like a whole summer in Israel. And the idea was, is that you got paired up. It was, you know, a group of American kids and then a group of Israeli kids. And you got paired up and you sort of toured Israel together. And it just so happened that my year <laughs> that I went, there were no other American kids in my age group oh, wow. that signed up. So it was like me and like 15 Israelis just like going going around Israel all over the summer. And it was, you know, kind of a, a seminal experience uh, in my life. I mean, that was a really, a really special, uh, really special time. And I think it, in a lot of ways sort of set the stage for, you know, uh, you know, who I was going to become, you know, in, in later years. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I know, like, uh, being Jewish and then being uh, in the whole QAnon world um, has to, and, and you've talked about it, and I know there's been a number of discussions on Twitter, but, you know, being yeah. the, the Jewish guy on the podcast and discussing that content, it's a little bit more, pers- more than a little bit, it's it's considerably more personal, and, right. and I, you know, the for you, and I think that that's been something that I've taken some small intangible measure of pride in how you carry it, uh, maintaining mm-hmm. objectivity, but also, you know, showing your vulnerability and explaining how this can af- and affect you, you know, just because you're Jewish and they're talking about your family and your heritage and all that. But yeah. I also grew up in that same kind of, uh, you know, very, um, you know, there's like a lot of Jewish kids around and immersed in activities and I played sports also baseball was my thing and you know music yeah. of course and I went to summer camp for performing arts so I know, I feel like there's a kinship there just definitely my path your path in that regard and I was just interested to hear basically like what makes young Jake pull up and do like the Axl Rose and move from from the that area i guess he was indiana but just get on a bus la with the with the la dream like where were we at in life when you made that choice like was it a one of big dreams or desperation and like around what age that's a great question um it was right after high school um i basically i applied to a bunch of schools um a couple in california and you know, my my grand my one of my grand my grandparents uh, lived in San Diego, and when I was a kid, we would come out and visit him, and it just seemed to me it felt like California was where I always belonged. There was you know I was really into like extreme sports, so I was a skater, and so you know the the skate culture and surf culture out here, I just felt like that was you know there was so yes. much more um, so much more available as opposed to you know you know in the the Midwest. And so um, when I did, when I applied to schools, 
Um, you know, my grades in high school were okay. I was I was good in like history and and English literature, that kind of stuff. Um, but I was terrible in math and science, and so my grades were okay. And um, I auditioned at a bunch of for a bunch of theater programs, thinking that you know maybe my you know what whatever acting skills I, I thought I had you know could maybe compensate for my you know my lack in GPA and it ended up working out and I got into a school in Southern California um, into their program and uh, and yeah it was my, my you know my parents basically had said look we, we saved up enough money we can send you to University of Illinois if you want and anything beyond that you're you're going to have to pay for and so I came out here and I immediately start. I was working for the school uh, in a work study program, so you know, and it was kind of a you know the the kids there. It's kind of a wealthier school, so I was definitely, I definitely felt um, you know like I didn't quite fit in, even though I was in this place that I really wanted to be. Um, and uh, yeah, I worked all through college, and uh, luckily I I lucked out and and had some acting success right away um, out of school. And I used that to pay off all of my my student debt. And then I never booked another acting job again. It was like it was like God, you know, was like, I will grant you this one job so you may pay, it so you are not in debt for the rest of your life. And and then, it was like, and then you will never be called back for anything again. Is that something that you care to share? Where we could maybe see a, a young Jake on the small uh, screen, big screen. Eventually, that eventually that information will come. We'll, okay. we'll, I'm, I'm working on how to how to properly dox myself in a way that's <laughs> that you know that's that's meaningful. I have a couple I have a couple other projects um, uh, on the film side that are going to come out, and and the theme the themes are 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 very much in line with what we talk about on the podcast. So I feel like there's going to be some crossover there. And those uh, that project I'm producing under my my you know my birth name, so I'm sure at some point it'll come out and people will get access to you know lots of lots of young Jake, which will be you know embarrassing for me but hilarious for everybody else. So that day will be coming fairly fairly shortly, I think. Right on. Well, I, mean, I know the the legions of folks look forward to it, and I don't want to you know <laughs> jump jump the gun here, but. Of course, that's something I'm sure would be of great interest and humor and appreciation. You know, you're very loved and people, I speak for myself and a number of other listeners that I've talked to, just really appreciate the, that you bring yourself to the project. Um, and, and part of that is, is loving all you, you know, like all, mm-hmm. the, all the aspects, you know, vulnerabilities, feet, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it is. All the good, all the best parts. Right. No, but you know, I mean, that's, that's really special. And I, and I really, you know. It, it makes me feel good to hear to hear you say that, and and others who have reached out to uh, to just you know say how much they appreciate the show and what we're trying to do, and and I you know in in a lot of ways I think it's um you know it's one of the things that was very it's, it's this experience now is very different from the experience I had when I was trying to be an actor um, because I felt like there wasn't a writer really that kind of understood who I was, you know, I'm, you know, I was, I wasn't good looking enough to be the, you know, the ingenue, but I wasn't, you know, strange enough looking to be like the, the character actor. And I kind of fell in this strange in between area. And I, and I just don't think there were a ton of parts for me, which is why my, my career didn't kind of go the way that I, I was hoping it would. Um, and one really amazing thing about the podcast is is uh, just in for my own you know mental health is getting to be myself and um and having that be validated um 
you know, it's not a character. It's not, uh, you know, it's not words that somebody else wrote. And uh, that's it's been a really unique experience for me. And um, and I and I'm very appreciative that it was met with, uh, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, I mean, largely for the most part, uh, you know, total acceptance. And that's a a really um, a really amazing gift to get, uh, especially you know this early on in life. You know, we're 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 still relatively young young folks, so um, I just feel really really blessed um, to receive a lot of the the outpouring of love and um, support. And it's made, it's honestly, I mean, you know, I mean, you know that you, the stuff that we study, like, like you were saying, is, is really tough, you know, especially as a, as a Jewish person. Um, and, you know, I mean, to speak on that a little bit more, um, you know, Julian and Travis, my two co-hosts, um, as well as uh, Annie and Liv, are, are amazing, are amazing correspondents. Um, you know, there was a time when I went to them and I said, look, I'm having trouble digging into a lot of this stuff, you know, for the streams or for, for whatever. It's it's really hard for me to go down these rabbit holes and it's like weighing on my um it's weighing on my my personal sort of psyche. And they all like picked up the slack. They were like, cool, no problem. Like we'll start looking at like you focus on doing like the movie nights and like, you know, the stories and like that kind of thing and like your weird sort of deep dives into other conspiracy culture. Like that's what that's where your strengths are. Like you go do that. Like we'll take on some of the like neo Nazi stuff and some of like the darker corners of like, you know, this cute the the QAnon um sort of ideology. So, I mean, that's an amazing gift to have people you work with, like, understand where your weaknesses are and be like, oh, no problem. Like, we'll pick up the slack. Like, I get it. Like, get the way that's hard for you. So, I mean, it's been such a collective effort, I think, between the listeners and, um, you know, us us making the show. Um, just kind of the perfect storm of, of, of stuff that allows it to sort of keep going in the way that it does and to kind of keep shining the light into this community. I think it's just a, it's like a, it's like Jenga at like the, the very <laughs> end of the night, you know, it's, a, it's like a very unique balance um, between all of these different aspects between both our community, the QAnon community, the, and, you know, the other researchers. And it's, um, yeah, it's really kind of a, a crazy crazy weird thing to be a part of and uh you know my mind is still like blown every day just thinking about like this is where i am in my life and this is what i'm doing and it's crazy <laughs> yeah it's groundbreaking i mean y'all y'all were among the first to be really dedicated to this beat and on a weekly basis twice a week now three times a week mm -hmm. there's you know it's a beautiful and we appreciate it and obviously there's a human toll you've been i remember you referenced it a number of times the mental health effects uh, that come from immersing yourself in this content and you brought up a couple of things i want to touch on man the similarities are crazy like i grew up surfing on the jersey shore i love oh skate wow culture. that's crazy and then I moved out here to California, a little older than you. But for me, it was like I always dreamt of the ganja farms, you know, I yeah. love weed. So I came out here, worked on a few farms and was like, I want to be here. And now I'm oh, talking to you from the awesome. Bay Area. It's been a long, strange trip, which has included some of my own uh, darker experiences. Not so much conspiracy, but, you know, substance, incarceration. Yeah. So it hasn't been all, you know, roses. But, uh, you know, mm -hmm. what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and honestly, a lot of... Um, my people in my life that I've, uh, you know, grown close to over the years, for whatever reason, in, in the Burning Man community, in the live music community, I'm a music journalist, so I want to get to your writing, because I write, and I really love, like you just said, where you take it, where you put that energy into like the fan mm -hmm. fiction or exploring historical references. 
It's very right. illuminating. And because I've had such an interest in this and been listening to your pod, spirituality, behind the bastards, knowledge fight, this sort of web uh, that's fighting the disinformation outside of the the normal quote unquote MSM channels. It's it's mm-hmm. just like my my Twitter feed, you know, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I, I do a lot of lurking. It's like all conspiracy journalists and music cats exclusively. Yeah. And that's kind of like pe- mine, too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, a number of people in my life have approached me to ask me to unpack this for them because I've been pretty public about the discussion and it's come close in my personal life and professional life. Mm. So I I lean on y'all to unpack it for me and then I got to kind of layman terms it to folks who don't understand Chan culture, who don't understand the protocols and all that stuff. So it's this sort mm. of uh, trickle down where the only way we can really, and the reason I asked to have you on the show is to just show that it's like not this fringe thing anymore. It's it's in all of our lives, and as you so duly noted in the most recent episode, is like now broken down and extrapolating on all these local, fundamental, organic, grassroots levels, which is terrifying. So yeah. the more that we you know break it down and talk about it and unpack it. Um, the more important it is to kind of spread that gospel to the people who need to hear it. So just like I may have been a small conduit to my community to help navigate these waters globally, the work that you do with your, your, you know, your correspondents live and Annie, I mean, just amazing global and sort of sociocultural examinations of it on a macro scale and then, like I said, I feel like mm-hmm. I know you, I know Julian, I know Travis, just by listening to you guys chop it up on a weekly basis. So it doesn't come off as some like reporters or journalists or even like lectures. Mm-hmm. It's like sitting in on the homies talking about something that we all have to be not just aware of, but concerned about and like actively working against. So I have a music podcast. Like I want to talk, you know, G's moving in silence like lasagna. That was what got me. (laughs) And then, and then it's a free full circle, like the just shame. And then Travis, Travis knew the line better than I did. Like he, I, I thought I was quoting it and he was like, he was like, no, 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 that's not the correct line. He's like, that's not the correct. It's a little Wayne line. Of course I know. And I was like, oh my God. Like I, I'm even learning things about my co-host, brand new things, you know, you know, even three years in now. Paper chaser, tell that paper, look, I'm right behind you. Bitch, real G's moving silence like lasagna. I love that. I love that. And that was just a moment where I was like, wow, there's so much like nuggets that I would appreciate outside of the context of QAnon if I was just yeah. sitting around with y'all. And let's take yeah. it there for a second. Like the Hell yeah. yeah let's talk music. Basically, this is a music podcast and, and you... I actually asked you because you were talking about Rivers Cuomo performance. That's what gave me the yes to kind of holler. So let's take it back to young Jake again. Like when you're a kid and you're finding what you love, uh, what were some of the like pivotal records or, or songs or artists, uh, you know, before adulthood? Okay, so this is it's gonna make it, it you know as as somebody who is a, a a legit a real a real music journalist my my path will make complete sense to you. Okay, so <laughs> my dad my dad and mom I grew up listening to Beach Boys records. Uh, my dad was a big Steely Dan. I guy. love Steely. My loves Steely. yeah I, I love I love Steely Dan too. There's a newer there's this new band called Shore Shore. Have you heard of them? They're kind of like a they're kind of like a newish Steely Dan, a little bit like funky, but like a little there's a little bit of Weezer vibes in them too. Really really good shit. I will check that. 
Thank yeah, you. Yeah, check. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll I, after after this. I'll 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 DM you on on Twitter. I'll 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 give you my my current playlist. Um, because I I'm trying to I try to find new stuff too. You know, I'm I'm. It's very easy for me to get stuck in the things that I just I already know that I like. Um, I think that's everybody as you get older. You sure. know. But um, yeah. So so I grew up listening to like, you know, I mean, really early on, I was listening to stuff like Danny Kay. Um, like old records that my grandparents had, um, Shel Silverstein. Uh, so I think a lot of the stories and the voices that you end up hearing, like on our podcast, is really stemmed from very, very early on. You know, my my dad, when I was really little, he would read us stories, and he himself is a fantastic actor. Um, he never did it professionally or anything. He just he just like he's just good at it just one of those people and so he would read us stories and do all of the voices you know every character in the in the story had a different voice and so um i grew up with that um and then in like junior high i was i got really i got i think as every kid did i had my first cd was green day dookie yeah um i had an offspring i had an offspring uh, cassette tape and i had weezer and my little brother actually had had purchased Weezer the Blue album cassette tape, and it's really funny because you listen to interviews with uh, Rivers Cuomo like later in life, and he you know he's really honest. He's like you know we thought we had kind of made this kind of like seminal like grunge record that was referencing like Beach Boys and Beatles and like all like we thought we had really made this you know something that was really sort of you know, mature and incredible. And he was like, and the kids who, and the most of our fans were like 13 years old. Right. It was like, you know, it was like a lot of kids, like we were in our, you know, early, tw- they, you know, the band was in their early twenties and, you know, their fan base was like in like sixth and seventh grade, which was me. And so. <laughs> Come on and kick me. And so, yeah, so I, so I was, I was really into Weezer in junior high, and then in high school, I got into like musical theater, and so I was really into stuff like um, Rent, obviously, because that was kind of like a rock, you know, sort of like a rock and roll musical, sure. and then uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, I, I discovered, which had like amazing music in it, um, and then Pinkerton came out, which was Weezer's second album, and that was like. Oh, fuck. I, like it was, to, I it was so it was so beyond what I you know what I kind of expected for them that it didn't take me until years later to kind of like really appreciate it in the way that I do now. Um, but I was into like Radiohead. I was into um, I was into the singer songwriter guys. Like I was actually talking about this with my partner last night. We went down like a '90s music rabbit hole. We were watching like New Radicals and like um, oh god, what else? Uh, uh, primitive radio gods, like all of all of that shit that was kind of you know permeated the '90s. Um, I was into saw. I was into like Dave Matthews and stuff. My dad was into Dave Matthews, so I went to a couple concerts. Um, I saw 
I saw Radiohead a bunch of times, which I still think I still think is probably one of the best live shows I've ever seen in terms of like mus- musicianship. Um, and then in once I moved to California, it was like exclusively hip hop. I went from being like I went from kind of like listening to you know emo rock and and you know some some classic rock uh, to almost exclusively uh, hip hop music. And this was in the early thousands. Uh, I was listening to a lot of Wu Tang. I was listening to um, a lot of the conscious rappers like Talib Kweli. Sure. Um, I most remember deaf. when most deaf absolutely. I remember Kweli had the first he he came out with the beautiful life mix the beautiful struggle mixtape. Which even had some early Kanye on it, and then yeah. he came out with the with the beautiful with the beautiful life CD, which was like kind of a seminal like hip hop CD um, in in my life. And uh, yeah, I was really into kind of yeah more. And I sort of moved a little bit more underground. I was listening to guys like Little Brother, um, Fonte, oh, yeah. and Big Pooh, who are amazing rap, just amazing incredible. MCs, incredible MCs. Um, God, who else? I mean, so many. I mean, Styles P, Plies, uh, Jada Kiss. Uh, I I moved. I moved into. I I sort of. I I really got into like the New York uh, rap for for like kind of like once I was out of college. Like um, Dipset. I was really I knew that into, was like, coming. I knew yeah. when you said New York rap, I was like, he's gonna go Dipset. yeah for for a minute i was like really into jewel santana and oh, yeah. um and that that whole crew jim uh jim jones all, all those town. guys yeah. And then um and then what's really interesting is like once I was kind of when I when I started to get into my 30s um I regressed and kind of went back to the stuff that I was really into in like junior high and high school which was Weezer and I and now with the you know with the internet I was able to find all of the demos and the deep cuts and the unreleased stuff that kind of led me on a weird. I sort of rediscovered, um, not like not punk, but like pop, like I guess pop punk. I got into bands like, although I, this is arguable if, if he's pop punk, but uh, guys like Jeff Rosenstock, he's fairly new, dude. You are going to love it. It's he's he's political. It's like real punk, but it's like it's melodical. Like he's got really great melodies to it. Um, he started with this group called Bomb the Music Industry, which was kind of like a ska, like a ska group. And then he then he started doing his solo stuff with with a couple member with a couple members of, of his old band. And I mean, literally all his albums are incredible. I would say start with um, We Cool. I start yeah, all of Jeff Rosenstock shit is dope. He just released a ska album on 420, like basically a a, a ska version of his last album, just to like fuck with people. And yet it's amazing. They're separating families carelessly Under the guise of protecting you and me Jailing in a sense of hope And it's full circle, right? Because he started out Sky, then he blew yeah, he up on this other ska. thing And then come back yeah. to it That's cool for like the old school fans 
Yeah, exactly. And and it's so, there were so many like funny memes and stuff like making fun of people. It was like it was like people who like gay, you know said that they were like over ska like five years ago. Like now, like can't enjoy the like brand new Rosenstock record and all this stuff. Um, let's see what else. I discovered this band who I really really love. Um, who was the last the last band that I saw before the world shut down. This was March 6th last year. And there's a band from Chicago called Beach Bunny. Okay, so this is, it's this really young girl. She's like, I don't know, she's got to be like 23 or 24, named Lily Trafillo, I believe is her last name. And she, uh, it's like, I don't know, it's like... They don't think they sound like Weezer, and in some ways they they don't really. But the the vibe and like the essence of it is to me is like very much like Blue Album, like it, kind of Beach Boysy, um, but it's also like really it's like really conscious rock. Like she's she talks about a lot of like you know women's issues and just fr- you know her lyrics are amazing and find stuff that you know she'll have some lyric and you're like oh damn, like, I fucking just learned something, like, about, like, her experience or whatever, and it's just really catchy, um, so I saw them live, and it was awesome, and then the world shut down, and, uh, and then I, yeah, and then, and then, let's see, what am I listening to now? Yeah, what's getting you through the, uh, pandemic era? Um, let's see, I found a new rapper who I really like named Denzel Curry. Oh, yeah. Who is, like, I, I thought he was like a SoundCloud rapper, but but his lyrics are. I mean, he reminds me of like Pharaoh Monch mixed with like ODB. Like he's an insane lyricist, and I really think his like production is really really cool. It's got that like old school flavor. The big bang happened when the black balloon ignited. I feel the pain shoulder to shoulder as I was knighted. The night turns to day and my days don't seem the brightest. It's like itis, I wanna take a bite of what life is. If the president fuck around and piss off ISIS, bury me in blueberry bills, jewels, and ISIS. That's connect from mind to mind. Lies are on the rise, increasing bigger size. Start to victimize when evil's idolized. Inside my battered mind, I have visions of being broke. A broken man writing words of wisdom inside these notes. Shattered and lost, shattered. Um, you know who I discovered recently who I'm like obsessed with is uh, Juice World, who is like not something that yeah. I would ever think that I would listen to because it's very emo. It's like very SoundCloud rapper. But I discovered videos of him freestyling and I think he's probably one of the best freestylers I've ever seen, which is incredible because you don't get that on his like rec- on his like studio tracks. Right. But there are videos of him like in the booth and it reminds me of like what me and my friends used to do like, you know, back in the day fucking around where where his friends will like hold up objects that are in the room like controller or like mouse and he'll just rap like you can tell it's true freestyle. I think that I've been I've been disappointed when I click on videos, you know, these last last, you know, decade or so and it's like freestyle in the booth and you could tell I mean they're not reading it off something, you know, unless you're Drake, um but like you're <laughs> you know, but you're 
you know, you could tell it's something that they was pre-prepared. Right. And you very rarely see somebody really go off the top and like re- and and have it a make sense. B the flow is good and like C you know they're able to kind of pivot when they need to and and I thought that I just I I mean it's a shame it's a shame it, it, that we lo- that we lost him so young yeah. because I think he had incredible potential in terms of um his lyrics and his his whole general vibe um so that yeah that, that that's something that's been sort of getting me through the sort of the last couple months of the pandemic that are that have been you know, a, a lot of quarantine fatigue. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's interesting to hear you draw the path. And then because uh, I definitely identify with your whole East Coast rap journey. Yeah. You, know, you reeled off a bunch of my faves. And I kind of came from more of like the dead fish world with a nice, side nice. of Beastie Boys. Oh, I love Beastie Boys, too. Yeah, I forgot. To, and now now I'm all over the map. I mean, I love metal since I was a kid. Like my Weezer was Metallica, you know, but hell yeah. Uh, it's funny you talk about the SoundCloud rap and the emo because because uh, it's kind of the the two worlds colliding. Like you listen to like Lil Peep or Young Lean, and they're like you know like sampling My Chemical Romance and like doing those sort of like pop punk huh. emo choruses, and then rapping yeah. it with 808s. It's just kind of like this homogenized music of all the kind of stuff you soaked in on your your journey. I was a poser, multiple personalities, I'm bipolar, I swear. But yeah, I don't really right. have the bandwidth for a whole lot of SoundCloud rap. I will co-sign Denzel Curry, one of the more creative, unique, original MCs out there right now, for sure. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else? Who else do you think is like a new MC that's like worth worth listening to? Um, Why don't we say new? I mean... Lyric. I guess in the la- I guess new for me is like the last like five years really. I guess I, I I still think of like Earl Sweatshirt as new, even though Odd Future's been around yeah, yeah, for a yeah. while. He's kind of been like on really impressing me uh, in recent years. And uh, there's this dude Logi L O J I I out of Philly. He's he's like okay. an underground rapper, kind of dialed with this actually through the L A like beat scene, like the sort of Flying Lotus umbrella. But he's a he's oh, a cool. rapper. So I, I should send that over to you. And and I think that that's kind of really interesting about uh, like your personality in the context of the trifecta of the of your podcast, because so yeah. many people who listen to the podcast can identify with you um, what, for a variety of reasons, what you share, what your interests are. And and Travis and Julian occupy different lanes. Like they're all different versions of yeah. a friend of ours, you know, like and Julian is is very left and sardonic mm-hmm. wit and like just so sharp and intelligent and and also, you know, says things that can often be controversial or, you know, mm-hmm. draw lines in the sand that might be confuse some listeners who feel like we're on the same side of one thing, but then he'll say and then, you know, Travis is just this determined data just i dare i say is like the nerd of the bunch a lovable nerd but like yeah you know, yeah yeah he's dad you know he's he's right. the rock and and it's amazing the way that you guys play off each other and and it 
it, like I said, it's just like a round table of discussion where you can just be yourselves. You're all do your homework. You're all personally and emotionally invested in this, but it mm-hmm. never comes off like, uh, anything other than, uh, like a hundred percent professional and informed. So I wanted to, as a podcaster, just kind of maybe go there for a second. I have a little treat for everybody. Uh, I dug, dug very, very deep and uh, was able to actually uncover a letter written by a digital soldier during the first great meme war. Um, And I have that for you here uh, that I will perform in a reading. Lieutenant's Log, August 4th, 2018. Dearest Anne, It's raining outside. Left early this morning to go to 7-Eleven, and boy, was it pouring. Thank God I was lucky enough to be stationed indoors. I miss you, Anne. The other guys here make fun that you are just going to force me to raise another man's child. (laughs) But I know it's just jokes. Everyone is always trying to lighten the mood. I guess it's necessary when you're up against a satanic cult. (laughs) The president is planning a major rally in Tampa. We were assigned to head into Twitter to remind our enemy that John Podesta collects cum-laced handkerchiefs. <laughs> we thought it would be a pretty easy patrol. 7th Regiment had been assigned to the Chans, and with Bravo Company patrolling Reddit, drawing thousands of downvotes, all that was left to do was fire some light meme artillery at the blue checks until they blocked us, or better yet, deleted their accounts. The enemy station on the timeline aren't really too big of a threat. They mostly tow the company line and just echo whatever their general, Judd Apatow, tells them to do. (laughs) Their division is big, over two million followers. Their memes are well produced but lack the raw, irrefutable evidence we've got on our side. Captain always says, their memes represent a fantasy, while ours are reality, and I believe that to be true. Most of the fighting was pretty light. We bombarded them with rare pepes until dusk, when they finally when they finally gave up and resorted to calling us Nazis and white supremacists. A couple of infantry were accused of being bots and were blocked, but it was worth it. One of the liberals sent a message via direct courier asking our commander if it was true that Paul Manafort's crimes had really been committed while working for the Podesta group. That's all it usually takes, you know, for the red pill to slip in. What was it like? Give me. How did it come together? You said you had a sort of fledgling thing with Julian that, you know, mm-hmm. you were doing your thing, but it wasn't necessarily going places. Um, right. When does Travis get into the mix and what is the before, you know, Q is everywhere? Uh, what were the early because I got on around the 80s. I, I remember the first listen, yeah. episodes I listened to around. Now I've listened to everything. But I, in real time, I got on around episode 82, 83. So what were the early days like? Man, that it blows my mind when you're like, I got in around 80, and I'm like, 80 episodes, that feels like a lot. Like, have we really done that many? And then I'm like, no, we've done like close to like 300 episodes. We're, we're coming up on like, because right. I think we've got 122 premiums and like 140 something mains. It's insane. I mean, it's, it's an insane amount of work. Uh, that I, I don't even like, it, you know. I don't even think about and and one one of the things before I get into sort of the the origin story of how it came together, um, you know, one of the things you said that I don't think I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, you said that you know it, it's your friends, but like it comes off sounding like very professional and this and that. And I think it's it's because and a lot of people don't know this, but we write out everything. 
Like before we go into the studio to record our, our main and our premiums, we have, you know, 20 page scripts, 30 page scripts that we're, that, that we're cranking out, you know, and we have different, we, we've got a nice sort of like flow so that no one person is getting too stacked up with writing. But I think that one of the um, really good choices that we made early on was to not do like an improv style um, thing because this topic is so touchy and because it's so complicated. Um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, if, 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 if anybody, if anybody is listen is, is a listener or, or checks it out after this show, uh, just know that, that every single thing you hear, uh, for the most part, obviously we, we ad lib a little bit, but almost everything is written down and edited and like, you know, we really try to treat it like a, uh, you know, like an NPR show. Um, which is crazy. I mean, I'm a lazy person by nature, so it's insane to me to think that I'm, you know, I'm, we're cranking out, you know, 20, 30 pages a week or 60, you know, 40 or 60, depending on, you know, if we're doing two episodes. Um, okay. But anyways, so the origin story. So, yeah, Julian and I had this other podcast. It was about gaming and it was like about like it was like gaming and philosophy and it was fun it was great we were we were writing you know we had were writing there was like a website and we publish articles and then we would do this thing once a week and we had like you know a decent amount i think like maybe 100 listeners and we just you know we just liked doing it um and uh and then it just got to a point where it was financially un unviable it was just it was costing more money to run than and we and it wasn't really making any money and I was also you know working as a you know an assistant and I wasn't making it I wasn't making a ton of money and so it was really hard for me to justify taking the time out of you know taking time out of my my week to go and do this thing when I could be you know trying to find work elsewhere do freelance stuff freelance writing whatever whatever I could find and um we had another show that Julian wanted to do. He was like really, really adamant on doing this, this, this other podcast. And it was about disinformation. It was about futurism. And it was about, in a lot of ways, it touched on a lot of the topics that we get to talk about with the uh, QAA. And, you know, we were kind of, he was really serious about it. He built up a deck and he built up a business model of, you know, how we were going to monetize it. And we had um, uh, meetings with a, with a couple other, like there was a, a female stand-up comedian uh, who we were talking with to be on. And it was going to be like a, f more like a Chapo style, kind of like four or five person thing. And then the girl got a job in Vegas like as like a, a performer in Vegas and it was like a, a really good paying gig. So she was like, I, I can't do this podcast anymore. I'm sorry. And I think Julie and I might've recorded like the first two or three episodes. And like one was about like, you know, rent a friend, like this, this service in Japan where you could like rent, rent a boyfriend to like come to your wedding and like, or, or to come <laughs> to a wedding with you. So, so like you wouldn't be, have to go alone or like people could rent like a grandparent to come and like play with their kid. Like there was, it was this weird thing. So we were, we were diving into this, like, you know, sort of weird sort of futuristic dystopia, you know, that I, I think that, you know, we saw was coming and uh, at the same time, I was 
going down the rabbit hole on the conspiracy boards following the beginnings of what was QAnon. Because before it was Q, it was, um, there was FBI Anon and there was R Anon. And I, as somebody who was not a 4chan user, the idea of an insider leaking things onto the internet, you know, I was getting it secondhand through Reddit, you know, because that was a, this, that was about as, as deep into message board land as I was you know, willing or or even sort of um, aware enough to go. I didn't even really know. I didn't. I thought like 4chan was something like, oh, well, you got to have a special like browser or whatever to to do that. Um, and I thought it was fascinating because what was what was going on was I was watching conspiracy theory being created in real time, and um, you know, the conspiracies that I was into, what I was used to is stuff that had happened a really long time ago. You know, you read about JFK or, you know, um, even even with 9-11, you know, the internet wasn't what it was then, and there wasn't that, at least I wasn't um, aware of communities where you could go and kind of bake, you know, bake the news clips and all that stuff live. So it was really the first time that I saw something being created live and I saw something and I saw people reacting to it and it really catching on. And I mean, what it, what pulled me into it, honestly, um, uh, at the beginning was really the Spygate stuff. Um, this idea that the, uh, you know, that the intelligence agencies had, you know, at the very least kind of cut corners sort of you know frame Donald Trump as this as this Russian asset and it wasn't because I was like into Trump or anything it was because I had I was actually you know pretty left and I was like I I don't put it past the intelligence agencies if they really didn't want somebody in they could do whatever they fucking want they do it to regular citizens all the time if you know to fuck them over and um you know, for me, I was passionate about it because I was like, well, if somebody like a like a Bernie Sanders got in or somebody like, a, you know, a, a Warren or somebody who was kind of, you know, uh, anti, you know, anti-establishment and pushed for more, um, you know, a, a more democratic socialism sort of, uh, you know, uh, view of the party. I was like, well, I, you know. I I wouldn't put it past the you know intelligence agencies to screw them over. So I was very into following following this whole thing as it unfolded, and I saw that it was getting popular, and I saw that um, that it was trickling out into other areas. You know, it was at first it was on like the Reddit conspiracy board, just the R conspiracies, but then it like moved to its own board, you know, the, right. the calm before the storm or whatever. And I was like, well, there's this whole community trying to like decode this. And I was just fascinated by the whole thing. And I was on Xbox Live playing something with Julian one night. I can't remember what game it was. God help me. And we were talking just about like, we were just talking about like life and, you know, I was pretty... You know, I was in a pretty bad place uh, before the podcast. I, um, you know, wasn't making a ton of money at my job. I, 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 you know, my boss was was a nice guy. He was one of the better, you know, I, I would say one of the best Hollywood bosses that I had. Um, but it didn't really seem, and he was honest about this, but it, there was really no future there. And I just kind of felt like I was getting older and I was, my talents were kind of going to waste. And, um, 
you know, I, I, and I also didn't have any, any money to show for it. And I, you know, I had a, a fairly new relationship, um, who is now, you know, my, my fiance, um, at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, she was really successful. And so I, you know, I wanted to kind of bring, you know, I wanted to kind of bring, inequality at least to the you know you know to the financial aspect of the relationship obviously and so I just I, yeah I wasn't in a really good you know it was it was a tough it was a tough time and had been that way probably for about you know about five to seven years of just like really struggling kind of like you know paycheck to paycheck but not even like basically getting to the end of the month and having to figure out like what possessions of mine I could sell or pawn you know to make rent all that stuff and um you know so there was like a little bit of nihilism I think going on as well and I was talking to Julian on Xbox Live and I'm I'm, I'm sure I was stoned out of my mind and we were talking about you know life and politics and shit was so fucked and i was like you know what julian none of it matters man because it's all about QAnon." and he was like what's QAnon?" and i was just like dude it is this wild fucking conspiracy theory that is like happening on uh, i guess it's coming from the chans and i was like and they basically they're basically like promising you know a full like take you know a full arrest of like you know all the all the democrats essentially who I was really mad at at the time. This was this was post 2016, and I felt like Donald Trump is literally the worst, most unqualified person to become president. And like they they let it happen in a weird, yeah. you know, as as much as as much as um, you know, I think that Trump tapped into an anger and uh, you know, deep seated racism and 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 hatred in America. At the same time, they they also gave him a shit ton of fucking airtime leading up yep. to the election. You know, I I remember I I read Hillary Clinton's book for a, a book a book report episode that we did. I mean, a while a while back. And one of the things that really struck me about it is, is she she breaks down how much airtime Donald Trump got versus how much airtime she got. And, uh, you know, how and and when they were talking about Hillary Clinton, it was it was, you know, 70 percent of it was about the email scandal. And, you know, I was just mad at the whole system. I was like, you guys fucking created this monster. You gave him a fucking reality show for 10 years. Nobody, nobody, nobody called him out then. And now all of a sudden, now that it looks like he's actually going to become the most powerful person in the country. Now you're upset. And I was just pissed. I was I was, you know, I was. You know, like I said, uh, you know, and and also with my own with my own life, you know, I was unhappy where I was, and it makes it a lot easier. And we talk about this on the show a lot that when your uh, material conditions are you know are not being met, it is easy to slide into blaming it on somebody else, or you know, um, it, uh, to become nihilistic, uh, to you know, to have this desire to kind of burn the whole system down and. Initially, that's kind of what I saw QAnon as, and I unfortunately turned out to be right, um, but I saw it as this kind of, this thing that was going to burn the system down, and um, the more and more Julian and I talked about it, you know, we thought maybe this is kind of the framing for this kind of dystopian future podcast that we want to do, this conversation of, you know... Uh, essentially what the show has become, you know, talking about how, you know, in some ways we think that the believers in QAnon, um, they have 
proper grievances um, against the the system. It's it's the solution where they veer off, you know, co- you know, completely into um, I think toxic. Uh, territory and so that's really how the show started is it was a conversation a a debate really between me and Julian um in terms of you know through this idea of um shitty conditions within the United States and and apparently you know the rest of the world now um creating a a a petri dish for which an ideology like QAnon could spread, you know, um, and so that really was the was the inception of the show. And for the first couple, you know, and we've got them on our Patreon. If you subscribe, you can hear the Lost episodes, which is really just right. a struggle <laughs> session between between me and Julian, kind of trying to figure out, you know, what what aspects of this conspiracy is there anything that it does get right? Is is you know is there anything that it does get right? And um, where you know what do you know who believes in this? Um, that kind of stuff and. If we had kept it that way, it would have been an absolute nightmare. But fortunately, we we contacted a, a young man named Travis View, this anonymous guy on Twitter, who was one of the other few people that was talking about QAnon. He also seemed worried. And, um, <laughs> and you know... You know, because the, the, the other thing was that, you know, it, early on, a very real part of the ideology was that there was going to be, like, you know, these public executions and we were like this is like this is fucked up like this is a this is a a, yeah a fascistic fantasy essentially that is being kind of um you know disseminated to people that don't even realize that they're kind of rooting for fascism and so travis was also worried and he had like seven thousand twitter followers at the time so we were like oh he's a big account like we gotta win like maybe we can get him on and you know it'll be you know a good a good little boost for us or you know it was also i think out of a desire to talk to anybody else because julie and i were losing our minds trying to figure out why this thing was starting to gain speed and also you know the idea that like in some ways like we understood where the anger in the believers was coming yeah. from and Travis came in, and I for, I remember it was, it's so funny because I looked when, when Julian told me, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna have this guy Travis. He's a Twitter researcher. We're gonna have him on the show." I looked at his tweets, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, I think this guy's like too liberal. I don't know if we're gonna get along. He's like too liberal, not from a conservative standpoint, from from a lefty standpoint. That I was like, oh, he's like too you know center center left for me." And um, Travis came into the studio. And it was, we all clicked, like, right away. Like, no, it was just, it was just pure luck that the three personalities kind of came together in a way that balanced each other out. And it's it's really funny when we, we interviewed one of our first, like, big celebrity, celebrity, celebrity interviews was Tom Arnold. And he said to us after the interview, he said, the three of you by yourselves seem, like, annoying, <laughs> but to get, he was like, but together, it really works. And I think that that's true. I think the three of us on our own yeah. are, you know, are either overly dramatic or, you know, too much of a dad nerd or too much of a controversial loudmouth. You, you know, I think that, but together, we really locked into what ultimately became the the format for the show. And I think Travis 
came back one more time as a guest. Like we didn't incorporate him right away, but we came he came back one more time as a guest and um and after that we were like we got to we that's that's what the show is. The show the show doesn't work without a Travis. You know, because I think he he gives me and Julian a little bit more credibility because he will take the time. He is obsessive and he will take the time to research and make sure. I mean, Julian does, too. But um, specifically when it comes to QAnon and the lore and who's saying what and right. the players involved, he has he really knows his shit. And so him ha- having that anchor allows us to kind of pontificate and do the struggle sessions, you know, that was initially kind of what we had, uh, but in a safe, controlled, grounded way. And I and I think that that is why the show um, became as popular as as it is be- because of tra- the the element that Travis brings to it. I think Ju- I do think that if you know Julian and I by ourselves. We're pretty annoying and we, you know, and we torture each other and it's just, it's, I, I'm sure it would be very funny for a select group of people, but um, I think, I think what, what the beauty of Travis is that, and, and Annie, obviously, and Liv, is there is a much broader appeal now and there's, you know, a bunch of different kind of, you know, walks of life to filter this kind of whole weird mess that is QAnon through and, um, that just, you know, like you were saying, it it's all all in service of so people can go away understanding it. And when your friend or a parent or an uncle or whatever asks, you know, what is this thing? You know, you've got, uh, you know, tools in the toolbox to kind of explain it. And when you explain it and you understand where it comes from and that these these conspiracy theories have actually been around for thousands of years and it's actually just the same conspiracy over and over again um you it's easier to see the people that who are kind of roped into it um as victims as opposed to uh, bad actors or agents you know agents of of chaos wow man very really illuminating and articulated well so th- i appreciate you, you breaking it down to the how re- before how are we doing on time you good we're great yeah i'm fine okay i just wanted to check um yeah let me wh- let me check my text real quick i think i'm good yeah okay i'm gonna go i'll let you know if i've got a if i got a jump right on well yeah i think that it's you brought up a lot of like seeds that have that have really you know blossomed and in a bunch of ways. And one I think is so important, and these are tied together. You talked about where you were in life when mm-hmm. this happened. And as somebody who, and, and I'm, everybody in one way or another, unless you're a fortunate son or daughter, has struggled financially, <laughs> emotionally. Yeah. Uh, and, and I myself, you know, uh, so many similarities, like my now fiance uh, was much more successful than I when we got together. And there's a certain... Yeah. Uh, thing that comes over us, whether it's wanting some confidence in the equation and then where that can take you. And when you look around at the opulence of an LA or the Bay area and see somewhat what you might perceive as quote, shallow people with all this abundance and Mm -hmm. not even taking it for granted. And you're struggling and you're trying to be a partner and you're trying to go to work. And and then there's a certain, uh, you know, there's a condition that is very vulnerable to these nefarious ideas, a certain struggle, a certain, a wayward place that young adults 
and and boomers too, mm-hmm. but certainly young people can. And that's certainly when the people in my life that fell prey or victim to these conspiracies in one way or another were in that space. Could be relationship, could be finances, could be drugs, could be family trauma, something. And the fact that you were there and that you were actually just in that space and also navigating some of these dialogues, the, the, your impetus, the, the embryo for this whole thing is humanist. You're, you're not pointing and laughing. You're not uh, ex- like shaming uh, because there was a kinship there in the beginning. You, you understood whether it was the political reasons or the financial reasons or whatever. You didn't necessarily obviously ascribe to these ideas or these methods or these nightmarish, you know, fantasies, but you understood the the disconnect Mm because in a lot of ways that was you. And I think that that is the beauty of the approach of QAA Mm -hmm. is it's born on that human approach. It was, I mean, we get laughs by the ton and y'all do too, but it is never mean-spirited there's never yeah. this this level of, and and you know i love a lot of consp- you know podcasts in this space q conspiracy whatever but yours is very empathetic and very uh human and i find that endearing in the reporting it it it's a crucial element to it and i think that you've been you personally and the three Thank of you. you have always made it uh imperative like a, a point to tell your listeners do not attack do not exclude shame like all the because you know people are inclined to have emotional reactions when their loved ones or people in their life start accusing them of these horrible ideas and crimes and whatever adrenochrome Mm -hmm. all that shit and i've been told that i'm a part of that by people that i've like taken acid with you know and years later telling me i am like part of the pedophilia problem so it's it's crazy to hear that and it's hard not to clap back whether it's with facts or with anger with shame and and then a lot of the mainstream reporting uh and you guys have illuminated this a lot of the main i hate using mainstream media because that's kind of like a loaded word but a lot of like the you know the the channels the main website corporatized or the legacy you know whatever you want to call it they they were late to the party and then they took this sort of accusatory, shaming kind of uh, just more of an elitist tone to the coverage of like these mm-hmm. crazies, these fringers. And, and by that time, by the time the NBCs and, and CBSs and vices of the world got there, I mean, the cat was out of the bag. It had already even leapt from Reddit to Facebook and Twitter. And, yeah. you know, the horse was out of the barn. So I find that the approach that you take... Um, to be of even greater value in the aftermath of the election and the sixth when, you know, short of whatever my pillow guys got coming in the summer, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is what it's going to be. And, and there has to be some level of conversation, dialogue, healing, uh, reconciliation, maybe not with the, you know, real hateful folks, but folks that have wandered away and believed in this thing and it yeah. didn't happen. And then their, their parents and kids and, brothers and sisters and cousins and bosses and and they're humans and i adore and so appreciate i know i speak for a lot of listeners to your show that you help us navigate that you always let us know remind us who they were before this Mm -hmm. try to find that common ground and when i put it out to my people i didn't specify who or when but i said i was going to have a conversation with an authority on 
QAnon and conspiracies, is there anything that my network would like to know? Um, I got a lot of how do we reconcile? How, how do we open the conversation, especially in like the new age festival burner communities? Because these are people where mm-hmm. we've traveled lots of miles right. and had these like life affirming experiences in nature or in psychedelics or to music, things that we hold dear that we're going to tell our grandkids about. And, and occasionally, you know, one in 10 of those people has gone uh, yeah. down the Q rabbit hole. What, what would be some way that you would, in your experience, any wisdom perspective for opening those dialogues and navigating those dialogues with people that we feel like could be still reachable? Um, well, first, I would say uh, to, to, your, to, your, um, to your comment about um, how we're able to approach it from this, uh, this human angle, um, that's because of you guys. I mean, the listeners who support the show allow us to not be under a corporate conglomerate. And what that allows us to do is tell the truth. We don't make predictions. We don't, we're not really trying to sell you anything. <laughs> you know, we're really not trying to sell you on any kind of ideology. And that is purely because we have amazing supporters that allow us to stay independent and that really, it is a symbiotic relationship. So I would say right back to you, thank you uh, for supporting and, and listening because it allows us to, to not have to tie an ideology to the interests of any, any, any corporation. Um, and it allows us to, to make the coverage human um, and, and to keep it from being, you know, what we talked about, some of the, you know, the other, uh, you know, some, the way that the legacy media has handled it. Um, so thank you first. Uh, second, um, and I, and I have to, uh, preface this with, I am not a mental health expert. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in exiting cults or anything like that. I don't even know if I would call QAnon a cult, but many do, but I would say that in terms of reaching a friend who is, you know, who is subscribed to this ideology and is, you know, um, going through it, uh, the first thing that you have to do is you have to find common ground. Um, whether it is, uh, hey, I understand why you distrust the government. I was talking with a friend the other day, honestly, uh, and uh, he was, um, you know, he was wary about getting the vaccine. And I asked him why, and he's an African American guy, and he was like, "Dude, because the he was like Tuskegee, all, like all, like the government yeah. like doesn't give a fuck about black people. Like I don't know if I want." And I was like, "I understand. I you know what? I understand." And you know what I said? I I, I tapped my arm and I was like, "Well, shit, I'm a goner then already." And we laughed, mm. and there was no judgment. It was a you know, it was an an open moment and uh, I let it breathe. And I think that um, if you want people to even begin to uh, listen to your voice and even just consider maybe some of the, the points that you're making, you, you have to find some kind of common ground. And from there, you can, uh, you know, you can at the very least, you can continue the relationship 
and be a positive force that if and when that person decides that maybe they've made a mistake, you know, maybe they were wrong about all this or they decide that it's gotten to a level that they actually it makes them uncomfortable. Um, you can be there as somebody who didn't mock them, who found common ground and 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 be a person that they can come back to. I think it is really difficult to change somebody's mind. You can't go and say like, well, look at the facts and here's this because they'll say, well, who are those facts generated by? You know, those facts come from the government who I don't trust and those statistics come from doctors that I don't trust. So you you can't approach them with that. You, uh, which makes it very, you know, makes the whole thing very difficult. Um, but I do, but I do think that it is, and we had this lovely, lovely young woman, this Australian woman on a recent episode who's in a situation right now where her mom is a full-on QAnon believer. She is not, and they still have a relationship. They, they don't talk about politics a lot, and, um, you know, of course, they, they get into it a little bit every now and again, but she is keeping her close so that if her mom ever does decide that maybe maybe this was, you know, maybe maybe she had her fun and and you know there's more important things in life, you know that she has somebody to come back to. You know, one thing we talk about and that I believe sincerely and 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 I and I believe it because I I speak for myself is that when you are able to take care of your family, when you are at least feeling somewhat safe uh, financially, uh, when you feel like you can provide for the people that you love, the anger and the emotion and the um, the uh, the paranoia uh, that allows you to kind of really buy into an ideology like QAnon, it, it becomes less sticky and it becomes less strong. And you still might be the kind of person that has the propensity, uh, you know, to get, you know, kind of be like, oh, well, is that true? I don't know. Oh, maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm like that still every day. Um, but I have good friends around me who I trust, who I listen to. And, um, you know, I have cultivated a habit of being okay with changing my mind. And I think that that's really important is to is to kind of normalize this idea that like, oh, you know what? Yeah, that I was wrong about that and not have any judgment carried, you know, not have any judgment carried with it. So I think that if you have people that you care about who have subscribed to this ideology, I think that um, the healthiest thing for you to do, because you're you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise. Um, there's nothing you can show them. There's nothing you can really tell them uh, that's going to make them go, whoa, holy, sh-, you know, zap, you know, pull them out of the, the hypnosis or whatever. Um, but what you can do is you can be a good friend um, as much as you can. You know, some people, you might get to a point where it's impossible to be a friend with that person. And that's okay, too. You got to watch out for yourself as well. Um, but I think that if you, uh, you know, you try to reserve as much judgment as you can and and be open and be available for people um you you know at the very least um if they are on the fence they won't feel like they've got nowhere to go and i think that when you um you know when there are people as we're seeing now after you know joe biden won the election and and you know the the kind of big big q sort of tentpole prediction didn't come true you have 
you have two places that you can go. You can go back to your kind of friends and family, right? And go, ah, you know what? That was kind of, that was fun while it lasted or whatever, but, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was kind of silly or And your family's there going, hey, no judgment. We love you. Like, cool. We're not even going to be like everybody gets duped. Or, you know, we're not even going to say that shit because we don't want to make you feel, you know, make you feel like you got duped. Um, if you have that, I think you're more inclined to go to that. But if you kind of are like, oh, man, like this is kind of bad or whatever and maybe didn't come true and all of your friends and family have isolated you and they've called you a Nazi and a cultist and a, you know, and a cucumber and all that stuff, you know where you're going to go? You're going to go to the more radicalized people, the militia groups that are saying, hey, well, fuck the storm. We'll make we, we can make the storm happen. And so I've seen it. And, and so and we're seeing it. Right. Um, and so yeah. I, I, I really think that providing a loving space for your friends and family uh, to come back to when they're ready is the best thing that you can do. Because if you reject them and you ridicule them, it's going to push them further right into further ra- radicalization. And, and we're seeing it happen. So I would that's my my personal opinion on the on the whole matter. No, that's good info and a great perspective. And it's aligned with what a lot of what you see, like quote experts like a Stephen Hassan, Mm -hmm. who who written extensively and you guys have covered, of course. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a lot of good points and I don't want to play devil's advocate. But one thing I struggle with personally is Mm -hmm. unringing that bell. Yes, open arms. Yes, I love you. But whether it's the Jewish thing or just the sheer absurdities or a lot of the hateful verbiage that, you know, Mm -hmm. this person would have never said something like that to you before this. And now they're saying awful things, horrible things. Yeah, sure. We want I mean, I spent way too much time on RQN and casualties, reading different people's tales of woe and worse and seeing how people are navigating their family dynamics and stuff. And and for me, mm-hmm. it's mostly uh, just in my friend circle. And, and even then, it's not my inner circle, but people in my music community and festival community, etc. And a little bit in, in the family, too. Um, you know, we got my pillow guy gifts for Christmas this year. The whole fam mm-hmm. did. So, no and that way. was interesting to just navigate. Do we say anything? Do we yeah, not? Right. Do we approach that? Is it worth it? Like... But that it was trivial. But but those are good questions to ask, stuff. though. I think I think that yeah. that's important to be like, is it worth it on this thing? You know, right? But I think some stuff it's really hard for people, especially in marriages and parental situations, to unring those bells to to not know that this person, even for a time, believed horrible things, not just about people in the newspaper, but me. And that, uh, or that I, if I didn't do it, that I was okay with it, that I was some sort of okay with it, you know, whatever it is. It's like, if you don't believe it, then you're part of it. And that division. And I think that that's just like a microcosm for the the big picture with this. Everything's nuanced. A great example, uh, and this might be hard to talk about, I'm not sure, and we can always edit it out, but it was a situation that happened a couple months ago. I should preface this by saying, as you know, I grew up Jewish. I've also, my roommate in college was Israeli, and he actually moved back to Israel and has become like fundamentalist Orthodox Jew. Oh, wow. Um, and and this, and he's a Trump supporter from there. And mm. this is a source of, he's really kind of isolated himself from us uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
But uh, I bring this up because I've been somewhat of an outspoken critic of Israel, you know, politically, and, and right. used words like apartheid state, which Julian mm-hmm. did. And, mm-hmm. you know, a few people piped up on Twitter, like offended. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, unfortunately, because I felt comfortable speaking about that, obviously, uh, proud to be Jewish, and it's my heritage. And I think that we can discuss issues, and it's not yeah. black and white. Uh, it becomes kind of like a division in the sand, where like, I thought that that was an unfortunate, like, what do you want to call a little like drama there, just because of an innocuous comment that Julian made, which isn't innocuous to some people, they feel obviously really strongly about it. Um, but it, it kind of can further divide. And that sucks. I think that it's important to have those dialogues. I don't know how that one ended. But mm-hmm. another one you just dealt with personally, which I know was traumatic for you, you tweeted about it, where Two years ago, and I want to get into the whole undercover at Q events thing, but mm-hmm. uh, you were undercover at an event, and it was obviously captured in the HBO documentary, which yeah. also kind of want to touch on. And you know, you made a comment about how if this is QAnon, then then Democrats are going to end up being the you know all the on the right because yeah, QAnon is so far old, right, yeah, right. And and people were livid. And I yeah. said to you, I don't know if you knew it was me. I was like, you spoke no lies, like. Yeah. And and I think it's safe to say that you're born correct here. Yeah. Um, and and maybe that's what makes it so hard for people to stomach. So I don't know. Maybe you definitely. can kind of like extrapolate on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, people don't like hearing true things that make them feel bad. Um, <laughs> and, <there it> is. <laughs> and if, you know, I mean, if we're if we're talking, you know, brass tacks, I mean, I, I literally just was at a rally uh, talking to a, this woman named Sarah Stevens, who is a full-on QAnon, QAnon believer, and she's running for governor against Gavin Newsom, and she's uh, going through the crowd telling people that they have to run for local elections. So, and, we've, and we have two full-on QAnon, you know, we have two full-on QAnon believers that are already in Congress, and we at have, least. and we have, um, you know, we have advertising agencies like the Lincoln Project that is made of, like, you know, Republicans uh, who were all Bush-era strategists who have become liberal heroes. I mean, where's the lie? You know, when you are, you know, the nice thing about um, not having any kind of uh, sort of, I wouldn't say party affiliation, because that's not, I mean, I voted for fucking Joe Biden. Like, I I would voted for a a pickle uh, over Donald Trump. Um, But, uh, you know, I do not feel that, spiritual attachment to the Democrats like I used to um because when you re when you when you when you really research government and what they do and it's it's mostly not good yes you have one party that is is definitely better than the other even if it's just pretending to care that is a you know is a net positive I think on the world <laughs> um even just Sad pretending to care and and pretending uh you, you know you know there's also we have media that is that has corporate and political interests that is pumping into us at all times you know propaganda goes on both sides and the um you know one of the you know the 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 greatest tricks the devil ever pulled was that um you know 
to quote to quote uh, uh, Kaiser Sose, um, was convincing people that if you criticize the Democrats, that you were a Trump supporter, and that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it's that's that's trash. It's it's trash bullshit, and it, and it's mm-hmm. and it's propaganda. And if, if you can't if you can't criticize your own party, then um, how is anything going to get any better? And um, you know, I think a lot of the people who who you know get upset are you know people who are privileged who you know don't necessarily understand you know uh, you know don't necessarily see uh, that um, no matter who is in charge that things are still uh, shitty for working class and people of color and any sort of march any 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 kind of marginalized uh, group in the United States. Um, so yeah, I, like, I, you know, I think it's weird that, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I think it's weird that people are so vehemently, you know, so passionate about defending their party when they don't really even have any proof that the party cares about them. I mean, you know, most of the people who work in government are, you know, 20 times as wealthy as will ever be um that alone is you know like here's a here's a microcosmic example in california when weed was legalized um the edible uh the edible uh, amount was limited to five milligrams and all the people were like, well, what the fuck? Like that's, and now I got to pay more money and more taxes because like five, you know, to, to, you know, people who have a, you know, decent tolerance, you know, five, five milligrams per, per piece is, or I think it was a hundred milligrams per, per container or whatever is like not, you know, not going to do that much. And you find out that the reason that it's five milligrams is because they gave a piece to some senator or whatever, who's working on the laws. Like they ate it and they were like, Oh, whoa, this is way too strong. Like, this is, holy. we've got to limit this to, you know, it's like people are totally out of touch and, and to not, um, you know, and to, and to, and to, and to, and to try to shame or harass or bully somebody that's just trying to, you know, just trying to, you know, call it like it is or, um, you know, to remind people that this is a sliding scale, that when you have a, you know, when you have a Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, in Congress, that that just just inherently is going to pull the party further right, because you not you're not worried about just getting liberals anymore. You're also worried about converting, uh, you know, Trump Republicans, you know, as well. And so mm-hmm. you've got to make concessions there. And look, maybe look, maybe it's not the Democrats fault. Maybe it's the two-party system fault, you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you could blame on systemically in in the the structure of government um, that does not lend itself to really cater to the working class. For example, for example, I remember when I was acting, and I booked a, a booked a job, 
And I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is going to be the thing that I can put away a little bit of money. I can like, I can put, I can finally put aside a little bit of cash. I can pay off my debts. I can get off my feet. Well, but because I had made a, a decent amount of cash in a small amount of time, I was propelled into a, a new tax bracket. And all of a sudden, the money that was going to be my kind of, my saving grace, the thing that I was, that was going to help me get out, get out of debt, it didn't exist. You know, and and so right. just it's we've got people who are making the system who are not living in it anymore, and um, you know, I, I I just I think it's important. I think it's important to call it out. And you know, if people want to get upset about that, and I mean that's fine. It's that's that's their prerogative. It's just the thing is, is like you say something like that, and uh, you know, people think that you, what what you mean or they the, the way that they interpret it is like oh well you're saying that like you're saying that democrats are as bad as donald trump how could you and it's like no i'm not saying that at all i'm not saying that at all i'm just saying that as one party radicalizes further you have another historically this is what happens that you have another party just have to move to meet to yeah. meet it and so it's like yeah you don't want to hear it but at the same time, if, if people aren't conscious of that, then nobody's going to be working to say like, hey, you know, come on back. Like, hey, we can, you don't have to, you know. In fact, if you were more progressive, uh, you would actually, you would, a lot of the grievances that, the, you know, so oftentimes I think that like when I hear people at QAnon rallies and I talk to them, I'm like, you just want democratic socialism is what you want. You want like some kind of safety net, some kind of insurance that when you work hard for your money that you're going to be able to take care of your family. Like you want the same thing. It's just you've been brainwashed by fucking GOP right. propaganda that thinks that it's communism and it's Stalinism and it's Lenin, you know, all of that stuff. That's That's not the case. I mean, the fact that, I mean... Look, you look. It's as simple as this. The two biggest problems in, that I think are facing America are wealth inequality and racial injustice and inequality. I think those are the two the two big ones. And there was one there was one presidential candidate in 2016. Um, both both fucking elections. Um, yeah, 2020 and 2016. There was one candidate who had been fighting for racial racial inequality his entire life. And fighting for wealth inequality, fighting against wealth inequality his entire life. That was Bernie Sanders, and both parties actively sabotaged him. That's all you need to know about what the what the 100%. state of play is in in America. I mean, there's 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 pictures of Bernie Sanders like marching alongside Martin Luther, you know, Martin Luther King. There's pictures of him getting arrested, uh, protesting for uh, pro protesting against racial inequality, and and both the the corporate media and and both political parties framed him as some like radical that's all you need to know because because at the end of the day poor people in america working class people in america no matter their color if they get together if they get together and join forces that's the scariest thing i think for the ruling class and so every oh, yeah. piece of Every piece of propaganda, every television show, everything that we see is geared against people realizing how easy it is to actually make a country that works for us. And it's just by reaching out our hands and realizing that we have a lot more in common uh, than we do, uh, you know, apart. Indeed. Well stated, man. And, and it's, it's important that you all, like you said, the truth hurts, but it's essential. It's a serum. 
We need to hear it. Yeah, it it sucks. It's hard to hear. Nobody wants to hear no, that. No, but at the same time, like that's what makes what you do important and kind of sets it apart is, is no sugarcoating and, and the real talks. And sometimes even you and mm-hmm. Julian and, and Travis will, you know, agree to disagree on a topic, but it doesn't yeah, become for con- sure. contentious or aggressive. And I think that is a good model for when people are talking about this stuff amongst their friends. Because here you were in the belly of the beast at a Q rally in full bloom. And you were making, yeah. and this was two years ago. So think about everything that's transpired since you even said that. Right, um, right, right. Exactly. And that, that brings me to something important that uh, we've kind of talked about it with regard to corporate type legacy media. Um, you participate in a lot of media, you and, and Travis and Julian. And of course, Annie's an amazing journalist and Liv is as well. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you've been very kind of lukewarm at best on a lot of the coverage, um, especially the Vice doc. <laughs> yeah, it's a good well, way to put it. Very critical, uh, yeah. objective. Um, it's never personal. Again, that's a, another thing. You know, you, you always draw those distinctions. But quite the opposite for Cullen and the HBO experience. So just a little mm-hmm. background there. When I was home visiting my mom in Philly in October, I got the what do you think about Q? like the open question from her. By the mm-hmm. time she got here, uh, yeah. when I first was talking to you, uh, and she, I was actually like on cloud nine. Oh my God, Jake Rockatansky is going to come on my pod. And she was like, I'm not, I'm not familiar. <laughs> I know a lot of the music stuff. And I was like, I oh, runs this pod. And, and she was like, Oh yeah, I heard about this documentary. So I'd already watched it with my fiance. Uh, but m- every night for yeah. a week, I sat down and watched it with my mom. You know, and and again, my Jewish mom, who doesn't know what a Chan is, let alone. So it was like, pause and explain. That's kind of fascinating. It was very illuminating. And uh, actually, we got five out of six, and she watched the six on her own and sent me a bunch of commentary. Um, But I just wanted to ask, what about Q Into the Storm and Cullen as a filmmaker and his process and the end product why is that the one? I mean, I, I tend to know the answers, but for listeners who are, are, want to be informed, why start and end there? What did he do different and why did it work so good? Um, I think it's uh, that's a great question. And I think that uh, the answer is pretty simple. And I think it's the same reason that uh, our podcast works. It's because he doesn't have any party affiliation that he's championing. He's just trying to tell the story as it is, um, whereas I thought that um, the other documentary was very, very much wanted it to fit a narrative that was comfortable for them, which is that you know QAnon is the result of you know Russian influence and a you know and a and an ARG you know gone gone wrong. Um, and the thing is, look, if we had seen that over the course of our three years studying it, if we felt like if we had seen evidence that this wasn't homegrown, uh, that this was, you know, a, a, you know, game, you know, game, a game gone awry, we would co-sign that, but it just, and you know what, we could be wrong. At the end of the day, you know, years from now, it could come out, it could come out that, you know, yes, this was a, a, an ARG started by, you know, with help from the rush, whatever. And you know what, we would be like, then we would be like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. It's good to know. It's good to know. 
we're, we're fine with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and I can only speak for myself personally, but what I saw in Cullen's documentary felt much more in line and on track with my own research and what I had, you know, and what I ha have seen uh, as somebody who is studying uh, from the you know, beginning of the movement and also being on the ground and talking, talking to a lot of QAnon believers. Um, and I thought that, uh, yeah, what I, I, I thought that Cullen just was in pursuit of an answer. You know, it wasn't, he didn't have an answer already and then wanted to make the film fit right. that answer. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's any good documentary is you kind of go out, you have no idea what you're going to find and you start to zero in on, you know, on, on these stories. And, you know, Cullen's been doing it for right as long as we have. He was one of the, he interviewed Travis in his house, I think even before Travis joined us on the podcast. So Cullen has you know is one of the pioneers in terms of analyzing uh, the QAnon movement, and I think that that just showed in the documentary. I think that that really, that really showed it. He didn't you know it wasn't that he saw it and was like I know exactly what this is and like I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you exactly what it is. Um, he kind of saw it. He was like this is weird. This is curious. I'm happen to be interested in free speech, and so I you know I want to you know see I want to you know use this kind of this movement and and uncovering who's behind it, um, you know, to sort of uh, open a dialogue about my own politics or whatever. Um, and I just thought it was it was uh, you know, and obviously we all had there was like you know little things I think that you know me and Travis and Julian would have changed. This, but fuck us, you know, it's like it's not our thing. It's Cullen's thing. You know what? There's probably little things that a lot of people want to change about our show too, and that's that's fine. That's Part of what it is to consume content and to you know critique and and all that stuff, but I thought overall, and and really you know for me with with um, with Colin, um, it, the human aspect, and I, I I'll struggle not to get emotional, but um, that he he saved Frederick from from certain death. I mean, and you know as somebody and and Cullen this HBO was not on board at this point i mean HBO came on board you know in late october of last year you know that's that's two and a half years of Cullen maxing out credit cards of you know trying to reassure his you know his partner that hey like some you know this is going to work out in some way you know think of all you you can you can i can only imagine all of the conversations behind the scenes as somebody who has been in a situation where you're putting everything in and you're, you're you don't really have you don't really know if it's going to pay off he risked his own freedom if if he had gotten caught uh trying to smuggle frederick out of the country uh you know when he had a you know a bench warrant or, or you know an indictment out against him he could be an accomplice and 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 they would you know they're they're pretty strict over there. I mean, you know, he, you know, he could have severely ruined, you know, his life. And so, I don't know. I, I, I found that aspect of it actually even more fascinating than some of the QAnon stuff. Although it was, you know, I thought it was fascinating to get a really, you know, a, a pretty unfiltered look, or at least the biggest sort of window we've seen into the people that we know for sure 
we know for sure have control the the most control over QAnon because they they own and run the platform where where QAnon posts. There's a lot of other conjecture that goes around and there's a lot of different connections and threads that could possibly be followed, but in terms of something that is 100% infallible fact, we know for sure that these guys are the most in control over the posts. So it was really fascinating, I think, for us as researchers to to get a, um, you know, to get a, a really sort of un, un, unfettered access to uh, to uh, the Watkins and their network and to see how they present themselves. And I don't know, it was just it was it was fascinating. Like, I've got friends who are not that interested in QAnon who are hitting me up being right. like, oh, this Same. doc is fascinating, you know, like they're. They're along for the ride, you know, even not really being all that political or caring about conspiracy Speaks theories to the or whatever. the strength of the film. Um, which just means it's a good, yeah, it just yeah. means it's a good doc. And I think it's like really well, sh- it's beautifully shot. And, um, you know, Cullen kind of does the impossible, which he has, he's inserted himself a little bit into the documentary. And usually when documentary filmmakers do that, it's really bad, but he's able to kind of remain this sort of kind of neutral sounding board. And, you know, he pushes in the right times and he knows when to fold in the right times. And I mean, it just really, I mean, really uh, specific, specific work and a, and a very specific line to sort of toe, um, which, yeah, I was, I was really, I was really impressed. Likewise. And, and yeah, you hit on a lot of the ideas that I, I thought this, the same. I guess the kinship uh, between QAA and, and Cullen, obviously, he came on your pod first mm-hmm. immediately after the film, yeah. which is a testament to both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wanted to go to y'all to talk. Yeah. And I think that just speaks volumes. But also, I think that the I talked about the humanist, the empathetic approach. Like when he showed up, it was never like I'm covering this Q conspiracy it was like under the guise of making a documentary about like the web and free speech and of course he yeah. he had a bit of a area of interest but he ingratiated himself with the watkins with a coleman rogers pamphlet mm-hmm. or ferber i mean these are people essential cogs in the mm-hmm. q wheel that open a notoriously anonymous by name closed off world of ether and interwebs open their door for this man and his camera yeah for years and yeah. they showed him the whole shit and i thought that that was remarkable and spoke to him as a journalist and his just his demeanor and how he carried it and how he interacted and uh, it's funny because i noticed this one thing i noticed a lot of course, but one thing that stuck with me, and I mentioned on Twitter, like so, they were at an event, a Q event. Uh, Cullen was there filming, and like Will Somner and and uh, and Jared Holt and et cetera were, were yeah. covering it, and they were kind of like calling him out from the stage. And there was this yeah. little sidebar interview uh, that Holt was doing with Dustin Nemos. And it was if from the outside looking in, it just looked like two dudes, two homies talking. Yeah. But obviously they couldn't have been further apart ideologically or whatever. But at the end of the convo, they fist bumped and Cullen caught it and put it in the film. And in one thread from Jared, I asked him politely, mm-hmm. uh, what was that? What is the fist bump with Nemos? Is that a solidarity? Is that some sort of unspoken? We're going to play this. Com- and, and the reason I bring this up is because you 
have to navigate that. And I, I would like for you to talk a little bit about going undercover to Q mm-hmm. events, you know, over the years, save the children rallies. You went to the conference in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've been prone to disguises and you've been had your cover blown and, and all the above. But <laughs> yeah, how do you na- how do you navigate that? Like, do you understand that fist bump or did it uh, if you saw it, would it offend you? Do you do that? Do you connect with the Q Q folks like on some uh, common ground? Um, boy, that's a that's a great that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to because for the most part. For the most part, they're good people. Always been fair, you know. I'll tell you, the most scared that I was was at this most recent rally where there was heavy Proud Boy presence. Those guys scare me. Um, the rank and file sort of QAnon supporters, believers—they're um, pretty normal, you know. They're pretty—they're pretty regular. They believe some crazy shit, um, you know. I mean, my thing at the when I go, I mean, I kind of ride this wave of being friendly and open but also keeping my dis keeping my distance you know um i have a tendency to overshare and so you know clearly and so uh you know that's not a a great um personality trait uh, when one is undercover you know these people aren't like toxic waste you know that can't be touched or you know if who knows jared got a good interview and you know nemos was was you know, happy to sit long enough to give Jared the, you know, the information that he needs to go and be able to um, provide context for the report that the report that he's doing. Like, sure, that's you're grateful to somebody for giving you that, even if you are uh, on two completely different uh, wings of an ideology. You know, when I go to these things, I mean, I mean, and it could be my own you know, my own, my own brain uh, creating this, but I feel like people are, you know, somewhat suspicious of me just because I, you know, I don't, I don't really go wearing like a ton of fucking Q gear or like Trump gear or whatever. That's never really been my thing. Um, So they're probably a little bit suspicious and probably, you know, somewhat closed off, Uh, but it's always, it's always pretty friendly. I mean, when we were at, uh, when we were at, um, and I talked a little bit about this on the Colin interview, but when we were at uh, the Arizona QAnon rally. The mustache gives him a singular look, which alternates between guy I'd buy drugs from and specialist at a gun show. I should have taken one less puff. His face is now that of a fish. How's it going? I peer into the scintillating black depths of his open mouth. You know I'm working for the deep state, right, Jules? Anyways, welcome to the Scottsdale Plaza Resort Hotel. We hope you enjoy your stay. I look up at the masked concierge. A great weight is lifted from me. I'm no longer bothered by thoughts of the massive hill we passed along the way. Maybe a landfill of some sort, with a giant white cube beaming from its yellowed flank. The Scottsdale Plaza Resort is relatively upscale, and most everyone is wearing masks, save some patrons enjoying their supper on the patio. It's a breezy desert night. We check in and drive through the quiet resort neighborhood to our townhouse, where we deposit our gear and begin to unpack all the drugs everyone had brought. There's an air of real excitement, We had chosen wisely to stay in the resort itself. This added a new layer of slime to the entire weekend. Would we be swept away in some weird MAGA-tantric boomer orgy? Julian might. Despite his toe being potentially fractured and on strict orders not to consume any hard liquor, he and Travis can't fucking wait to pull one over on these rubes. They're kitted out to the max with cameras and recording equipment. I unpack a small detachable game controller, hoping the hotel Wi-Fi will be good enough to get in a little mobile gaming. 
We find a table just outside the hotel bar and enjoy a nice supper together. Feels weird to be out, eating at a restaurant. Everyone else seems less concerned than I am. I order the strongest drink in my repertoire, a very dirty martini with Tito's vodka. Our waiter is a super friendly guy and we let him know we are attending the conferences undercover. At the end of the night, Travis and I got cornered by um, uh, Craig, who's just in Form Talks, who's a huge uh, QAnon influencer. And um, our cover was blown at this point. So he was like, oh, are you guys, from, you guys are from the podcast or whatever. And he sat down with us. And we had a really, uh, you know, a, a very nice chat. He was very polite. And, you know, he could not understand why we were against QAnon. He was like, I don't get it. You know, we're just Americans. We just want the best for the country. Like, I don't understand. What is it? What is it about QAnon? And it's like, Travis and I, you know, I mean, we were kind of drunk, but like, we didn't really have the heart to tell him like, oh man, it's like the whole Christian sort of like great, like it's the whole like Jesus Christian stuff that's like that, you know, Trump is this, re, you know, reincarnation of Christ and the great awakening. And I was like, that's the part that like we can't really sign on for. But how do you tell somebody that? I mean, that's he, you know, he's a super religious person. He grew, you know, he grew up doing that. Uh, he even said uh, at one point I pushed back and I said, you know, I'm Jewish. Like, there's a lot of uh, anti-Semitism in QAnon. He goes, he goes, hey, man, he's like, I'm not, a-. he goes, I grew up in Florida, man. All, all my <laughs> friends are Jewish. I went to, like, so many bar mitzvahs and all that stuff. And I'm like, it's like, maybe they yeah. don't even see because they're kind of in it where it comes from. And, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll ask, uh, you know, you'll ask QAnon believers about that. And they'll say, um, oh, well, we don't hate Jews. We just hate people posing as Jews to enact the new world order. It's like, well, what about the Koch brothers? You know, those guys are doing similar shit, uh, but you're not really talking about, you know, and they're, you know, and they're not Jewish, you know, but you do like to talk about George Soros a lot. You have, philo- you know, you know, philanth- philanth- uh, what do you call it, philanthropists on both right. sides who are, you know, pumping tons of money into political causes, but you really only talk about this, this one and they, they, you know, they don't, they don't get it. And so, you know, it's. It's really tricky. Um, it's really tricky. You, you. I, I try to be as neutral as I can in those situations. Um, I don't make any good friends. I've never, um, you know, I've never gone into one of those rallies and kind of come out being like, "Oh man, me and this guy palled around all day, and he was like super cool, and like we got along and got into it, and you know, we traded ideologies." Like that's never happened. Um, if anything, uh, I just sort of am a. Uh, you know, a sounding board for which I can hear what they're thinking, where they came from, uh, what political ideology did they describe to you before they, you know, came into QAnon and that sort of thing. So uh, it's it's weird, man. It's a weird it's a weird thing. And my acting background comes in handy zero percent. Um, you would think that I would be good at doing something like this, but when you're when you're really on the ground, you're in the situation, and you feel like you are in. A, a amongst a group of people that is looking that is paranoid right. and looking for infiltrators because they you know because that's just baked into their you know belief system it's it's tough man it's 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 tricky what's uh the was the other guy that cornered you was the or cornered travis at arizona pa- the praying what was his oh, name oh uh in the uh, matrix uh uh in the matrix yeah jeff, right. Pe- yeah, jeff they, Pedersen. and they sat down and i think the way you broadcasted it was, you know, Travis was nervous, but you sat down. They, you had a conversation not unlike you had with Craig. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
it was just like, here's where I'm at, here's where you're at. So it's a good example of, you know, we can communicate. And I, I, you say that your acting doesn't come in handy, uh, but it does. Uh, just maybe not in real time there. But yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the voices. Like, we love your General Flynn voice. Oh, yeah, my yeah. I would try to do it. We treat it. And, and you've created this, yeah, fan fiction where you write these very colorful, detailed, ornate, science fiction political science meets just like seinfeld humor kind of Mm -hmm. just hilarious but also very uh illuminating and informative uh did that happen organically at what point were you like uh i know you mentioned it was a almost a diversion to get you away from Mm -hmm. like all the protocols and all the horrific anti-semitism was that something you were already doing did the writing come naturally and uh a little bit about that uh, process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a- after this, I probably got to jump off. Dude, this has been an amazing, amazing interview so far. You're, dude, I'm really, honestly, one of the best ones I've ever done. So, the, so with the stories, yeah, I mean, it's something that I was always doing, like r- right from the beginning. Um, we knew that my my strengths were in creative writing. Honestly, what it sort of became uh, was a way to i mean the way that i kind of looked at it was kind of a a sneaky sneaky de-radicalization tool um because the stories that i'm creating you know obviously they're a little you know they're a little bit uh, more far-fetched than you know the ones in in the in the QAnon universe uh but it's i you know i guess the my thinking was was like well if they can create these kind of broad narratives well like i can create them in a way that kind of highlights my own view about politics and, you know, through satire and whatever. But it also allows people to laugh a little bit at kind of how ridiculous some of this stuff is. And when you really lean into, you know, because I'm really only playing off like tropes uh, that within, that exist within the QAnon narrative and then I mash them up with movies that I like or TV shows that I like essentially. Um, and so I think... When you take some of the like QAnon lore and you put it at that heightened level, it allows people, well, I hope it allows people to kind of laugh at themselves. And when you laugh at yourself, um, that is the first step to kind of, I think, being able to unstick yourself from a belief or a opinion or a judgment um, and so that was always kind of the case. I mean, I was inspired very early on by kind of something very specific. Um, it was uh, Max Brooks's novel World War Z, which was which when you read it, it's I mean, I know they made the movie with Brad Pitt and stuff, but the book is like a history text. Like it's written like a high school history text. And I loved that. I loved this idea of this kind of like alt history with a, like this kind of sardonic humor um, that was, you know, um, taking seriously these this very ridiculous sort of like premise. And so, yeah, that was that was and some of, and and very early on, some of the first sort of creative writing pieces are like more in that vein. Um, and then I think what happened is I tried to write like a screen, like a kind of like a mini screenplay for one of the stories and it like didn't work out so well. And we adjusted, you know, Julie and I sort of workshopped it and we adjusted it so that it was more of like a novel, like a narrative story. 
And uh, to top it all off, uh, my partner and I, when we go to bed almost every night, like to help us fall asleep, is we listen to um, the Harry Potter Audible books. And so over this time, over the over this time, I've been listening to somebody like you know I've been listening to Jim Dale, who's a gr- amazing actor and who, t- who performs all the audiobooks, kind of perform a written novel. And ah. so like that kind of like started to seep in into um, how I started writing them, and and of course adding in like that you know I love Hunter S. Thompson, and so adding in that kind of element of weaving in my own personal insecurities and experiences into the stories and um you know they're they're constantly evolving and changing i surprise myself every every time you know i sit down to write one of these because i i don't kind of know where it's going i don't know how it's going to end you know a lot of times julian and i will sort of beat out a a very minimal outline we'll be like okay so it starts like this this will be the twist and we'll have a scene where this happens and then everything else is kind of, you know, freestyled. I mean, I, I don't want to disappoint people, but I mean, a lot of what makes it onto the show is is very first drafty, um, and it kind of has to be. I think that it, you know, we, you know, early on we realized that if these things were too well manicured and trimmed and 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 proper, as if you were, you know, trying to pitch it to a, you know, some sort of a platform, um, they didn't work so well. I think that the story sort of live best as these kind of messy first drafty sort of extravaganzas that kind of vomit themselves out onto the page um much like you know much like the the sort of narrative structure of a lot of what the you know the sort of QAnon um you know uh constituents uh uh you know believe or believe will happen or they hope will happen or or whatever so it's been really it's been really fun and and great and great for me cuz it's it's really Good, good, good. Um, I feel like my muscles are really uh, uh, working well because I've got to, I've got to do so much writing, you know. And um, it's been, it's been great. It's helped me in other aspects of my life as well. So, right on, right on. Not unlike music, man. First take is always the hot one. So yeah. maybe, maybe an ad lib, an overdub, like you and Julian, maybe tweak of this or that. But first take yeah, is always the exactly. most vibrant. So bring it full circle back to music, man. Dude, you've been so generous with your time. This has been absolutely. Oh, this has thrill. been wonderful. Thanks so much for yeah, having man, me. I'm so grateful. Um, maybe you know we left a lot on the table, and of course there's more to come. So maybe we'll pick it up in a year or two down the road. See where we're at. Absolutely sooner, sooner than that, man. Oh, this I would was, love this that. Was, I didn't want to overplay my hand, but yeah. <laughs> I thought your uh, no, I thought your questions were great. You're really talent, really talented uh, interviewer, and uh, it was it was honestly a, a, a real pleasure. Right on. The feelings are mutual, and again, thank you for doing the Lord's work. We are all so grateful, man. Man, well, we'll 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 keep we'll keep churning it out. Right on. Well, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and uh, we'll see you down the road, man. All right, sounds good, brother. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. Yes, indeedy. Want to say thank you, large up, 
and a deep bow of gratitude to my man, J-Rock, Mr. Jake Rockatansky, from QAnon Anonymous Podcast, QAA, at Real Rockatansky on Twitter. Follow him. Check out the pod. It was definitely uh, off the proverbial beaten path for the Up For Life podcast, but not really. As you can see, there was a lot of common ground. We really caught a vibe, and it was clear he enjoyed himself just as I did, and I hope that it was informative to everyone out there. And, man, these guys are doing the Lord's work, and trust, she appreciates it as do we so um yeah i hope to have him back on the show down the road and maybe some of the other guys if it lines up who knows i'm just grateful that we got to go deep i look forward to uh seeing where this rapport takes us and hopefully opened up a few other people to checking out the qaa podcast or their twitch broadcasts which are free um I'm a Patreon subscriber. You get a second podcast with that. Um, yeah, re- re- just what they've built and the work that they do. I'm so grateful uh, just to be a listener, let alone to have a relationship and have hosted this conversation with Jake Rockatansky. And if you have anything you want to say about it, response, reflections, whatever, feel free to hit me up, b.gets at upfullife.com playing the instrumental to commons the game you know jake being a chicago cat i figured i'd i'd come with a little bit of this shy town heat and you know i was gonna play for the vibe junkie jam at the end of every episode like we always do about this time i was gonna play some of that beach bunny but uh honestly i'm kind of trying to evade some of the uh draconian uh podcast police tactics so beach bunny's blowing up i was looking up on the youtube man they got like crazy views and they're on fallon and kimmel and so yeah jake i guess was ahead of the curve on that one last concert he saw before the pandemic shut down so uh i encourage you to check out beach bunny they are definitely unique uh kind of surf punk meets indie rock uh band with fronted by a very interesting female vocalist guitarist um so yeah i think the project she is beach bunny and and then the other cats just kind of play behind her so uh instead you heard jake talk how much really loves freestyling um and obviously uh this is a big black thought house you know i'm a philly cat reek g's black general 215 name rank and serial i've been down with black thought and the legendary roots crew since i used to see them posted up on south street when i would take the train in from south jurors to get a cheesesteak and watch like stevie williams like tear up love park on skateboards like just glory days of the 90s and uh the roots in like you know 92 might have even predated the love park stuff but they would be like set up on south street drums keys upright bass and thought malik b getting busy so everyone knows that black thought is a monster with the freestyles and we've seen him do the scorched earth tour of a couple years back when he was like on funk flex and hot 97 just 
and sway all that just serving the culture with just the utmost in bar ology uh that said there's an even older freestyle from 2010 that i was always hype on uh from tony touch's like shade 45 radio show and it was done in tribute to jay dilla who had passed away four years earlier back then it was just the 15th anniversary this is four years after he died 2010 so it's it's Tariq, black thought <clears throat> tony touch and then uh q-tips in the studio and so is quest love but uh, Q-Tip uh, takes a, a turn, but he really can't hang with Reek. Reek is on, he just is on another planet on this freestyle. It's my favorite freestyle of all time. I may have mentioned it or even played a snippet of it. I don't know. Uh, I don't believe I have. So the, the sound quality is not as good as it would be if it went down now, but it's good enough for you to hear. It's all Dilla, unreleased Dilla beats that they're just, uh, playing in the background i think quest is kind of like queuing them up for tony toka and it's tony touches radio show and it's thought and and a brief appearance from q-tip but it's really just like 10 minutes of of why black thought is a cyborg so since my man jake rakitansky appreciates emceeing east coast hip-hop from back in the day and and the art of storytelling by way of freestyling, uh, that's how we're going to send it off for the Vibe Junkie Jam episode 45, the Upful Life podcast. Goodbye, job bless, and we'll see you next time. Check it out now. Turn this mic up, can nice turn this mic up. Yeah. What? Uh-huh. There it is. Turn it out. Yo, to the best of my knowledge, I guess that I'm fresh when I manifest. Hold up, dog. What's going on? Hey, yo, tone this to John. Look, we coming at y'all with Klish the cost, the professional. I make your girl get extra low. I'm from south of the border like Mexico. John's talking about they love me like X and O. Cause they man pop early like Plexico. Not conceptual, unexceptional. Hundred dollar bills full of cocaine residue. Got you off your dean. I'm ten steps ahead of you. Fresher than the 1985 Fresh Festival Live. One time for my hoods and my barrios. Bloods, Crips, Latin Kings, Trinitarios. And a hood staying dip like Oreos Even with her moms on that shit like Mario's From the Illidale Valley side of things Embalmed in my words in the Valley of the Kings When I finish y'all I ring alarms like Tennessee And rage war with a renaissance Y'all better get involved Rest in peace Jay Dilla The legendary roots crew from the city of Filler Yo, monster man Yo, I rocks the mic that never got the pass But I got your ass Listen, uh, well I'm a legend in my own time Look at y'all, just a legend in your own Mind. I let the drum talk to me cause it don't lie A lot of rappers try to kill it but they don't die Keep them coming back to feel it like a dope pie La Vida Loca, twist up and talk to this Grand Imperial, Hall of Fame, Material Black General 215, name ranking cereal My thing, highly flammable, I bang like a hammer do Swine flu, bird flu, and every type of animal I'm a mule to Tamiflu, I be goddamn if you insane I'm bananas to my brain, it's intangible Well it's the Jet Lee, I'm working on your Requiem Stepping apart of everybody 
to scream nasty I'm I push a fast being black great gats being my gats being a belfry that the hats be in the boxes but you ain't never gonna catch me yet if it's the last day in times nigga cash in yup looks like a job for a conqueror top mr third mr swerve mr popular counterfeiters can't see it with binoculars rather have a fishbone lives than your esophagus you ever heard of the world i'm on top of this still the most proper is y'all know what the gospel is plus the child i ain't wind up an exile after having college during self-imposed exile i re-emerged cut from a different textile they say i'm just wild waiting on my next trial i always been a nigga with the most fresh style in 98 i rock what you cop just now i had dreams like a kirikora sour and realized my meteoric rise the power they say my drive 220 miles per hour 16 bars 220 thousand dollars about it the game full of too many funny clowns and cowards Look, son of a slime, I lake up I'm an abomination A marijuana patient With Grammy nominations It's everything and everybody in their proper places Black thought is out as money on that out of spaceship Spotted on the red carpet, stepping out of spaceship With a glass of Shiraz and two around the way chicks Nowadays, don't nobody say shit You don't wanna see me get up on my modern day shit Try to tell your thoughts dangerous Can't nobody hang with this great Translated into 80 different languages Webster's and Cambridge's Every day the chamber switch Grown ass man, I don't know who the fuck you playing with I leave with heads in my takeaway from dinner bag Wicked grin like my mood, I'm a dinner jad Never been a nice nigga cause they finish Damn. last I'm a menace, that's what I'ma be remembered as Fresh, 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 fresh You suckers <laughs> Yo, what the oh, fuck Let's go, let's go Jesus yeah, my turn, my turn. Go ahead, Questlove. Well, it's Questlove in the place. Now nah, I'm playing. <laughs> Damn. You going in? Y'all motherfuckers Damn. ready. Tony Touch, you know I got Q-Tip. Ask him, man. Everybody know my whole crew spit. Anyway, <laughs> why don't you spit? As a matter of fact, I pass the mic to the left. Come on, Q-Tip. Yo, get real deaf like... Well, uh, get real deaf like, but after this shit that Tariq spit, I don't know what the fuck to do. But uh, I sit back and I crew out, a Zulu out, and this is how we do the ooh woo out. Yo, Lisa, yo, my man JD, J Dilla, James Yancey, he's inside of me. Yeah, this is how we got to pause that. This is how we do, yo. All the flaws that we have is for you. Hey, yo, listen to the rhythm of the beat as it fucking rocks, and I do it like this nonstop to JD, James Yancey. Here he is all around, feel the spirit, and you hear. The sound is profound, everybody can't fuck with it or deal with it. Yo, cause you need to be committed if you ever think as a producer you get looser than the fucking one. Fuck Detroit, yo, this is how we do with yo, the spirit anointed here when he put the fucking shit on the pads and it. This is how we do because shit ain't bad. Hey yo, freestyle it off the top to the to the to the world J Dilla hip hop and uh, yo. Yo, we keep it on it on it to be like that, flip the beat or something. This is how we keep it, yo, we keep Quest Love on the spot. Yo, Quest Love, what you talking about? What you talking about, fam? Yeah, Tariq, Tariq. Yo, I know you got like a fucking 500 more bars. Don't even worry about it. My legendary styling between Harry Belafonte and Harry Allen. I'm from a city where it's violent and it's overcrowded. I put it on the map. Y'all ain't even know about it. I brought the pole without it. The soul flowing out and make it hard to figure how y'all managed to go without it. A mic with a cord, I never do a show without it. We're dealing with frauds, I lift them up and throw it out. I know the way to go the route. Show you what a soldier about. Big boy arms, I'm holding out. Clips folding out. 
used to be a little snot nose, but I'm older now. You can try what you want, I tell you what I don't allow. Fuck all the run around, you want a hunting ground. You spit a hundred bars, I spit a hundred rounds. You run a hundred yards, trying to get out of bounds. That's when I tackle y'all and show you how the thunder sounds. Bang ya, as we approach the danger. Rhymes that invoke the anger, and I ain't know the music was supposed to change us. But when I start spitting it, it's so contagious. It smokes the pages, I literally spoke with sages. They said it's no hope to save us, cause we the bad guys, you supposed to blame us. Cause nowadays, everybody close to famous. But stop modeling a wild stylus in the wind like an allergen. Y'all motherfuckers could forget about challenging. I blind rappers like a magnified halogen. You trying to tussle with the truth, how about it then? I am light years beyond, not behind the line. I was separate star from truly divine. Give me a crystal head vodka with a twister line. The watch rappers get smoked like a nigga time. Yeah, I will put you in a body bag, pick a time. I will bring it to your doorstep, kick a rhyme. Niggas sick, but they ain't near sick as I'm. Rappers is slick, but they ain't near slick as I'm. I don't give a flying nigga, stop signifying. Stop cowering, be a man, and die dignified. I'm that insecticide, pesticide, genocide. You in the morgue, absolutely identify. But nope, I won't do it in the name of love Until I've given it my all and it just ain't enough See, even when it's getting realer than they say it was Straighten up, who afraid of what? Player get involved Yeah, you work hard till you better off 24, 7, 365, never off Look at me, I'm nocturnal, I don't sleep Eyes heavy, bags and crow's feet We won't be stopped I don't work and I won't eat Time keep flowing like a river, it don't cease In the mind of a super nigga, it's no peace Can't stop running like I'm ducking the police Yeah Coolie hottie trying to do me like Cochise Flow so obese, I'm springing a slow leak I keep a crowd satisfied, bringing them cold eat Yo, y'all the pits like Angela Jolie Stop, stop, you know them cameras is gon' see Goons looking at me like them cannons ain't on me Please, you ain't dealing with no amateurs, homie Philly ain't known for cheesesteak sandwiches only Yeah, climb to the top, man, I was lonely Everybody there mean mugging like Nick Nolte But nope, I won't stop, won't drop, won't retire I'm my own supplier, selling goods to the buyer the torch to the eye of the storm on fire Jones trying to give me birthday sex like Jeremiah hitting me up on Facebook I replied denied tell me I'm in the top five they ain't never lied picture me in that Peking to Paris with a ride it costs two to five them doors suicide yeah testing thought that'll be your suicide no matter which corner of the globe you reside listen 215 dumb shit aside when it comes to the job getting done with a mind I'm the god of the microphone praise the lord anybody disagree with me courageous sword I'm I'm Agent Orange, poisonous, amazing pause, <laughs> yeah. and the band keeps raging on. Well, listen, hey yo, I don't stop, no, I don't quit, no, I don't stop, no, no I don't quit. quit, no, I don't stop, yeah. no, I don't quit, and it's on and on. Damn. Turn it up. I can't believe this shit is happening. Y'all been like quadruple blessed out yeah. there. Anybody listening to this, man? This nigga right here. Who could go behind? It's fucking ridiculous. What the fuck <laughs> is going on here? Hey. Yo, I don't even want to speak it right here. Super lyrical. Ridiculous. Super lyrical, man.